Welcome back to Ladies with Gumption, episode 121, The Love Series, part eight. I am Jessica, and I'm here with May and Tatiana. We are at Ladies with Gumption. We recap DCTV in a flash. You can contact us um, by our email at ladiesofbegumption at gmail.com. You can send us ask on Tumblr, ladiesofbegumption.tumblr.com, or you can follow along with us on Twitter at DCTVGumption. Follow along with our live updates of shows and send us your predictions and feedback and what have you. Um, you can also listen to all of our previous podcasts on the Podomatic site, ladiesofbegumption at podomatic.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and also on Patreon. And we just like to, um, again, say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers that we have currently. You get episodes 24 hours in advance, as well as exclusive content. Um, coming up, we <laughs> I unilaterally decided that we're not going to continue to do like one episode updates to Stargirl. We did have some so yeah, we do have some people though that you know want to continue to hear um, our opinions and feedback on it. So we're thinking about you know just watching it through to the end of the season and doing like a big um, Stargirl review. Right episode and that will be on patreon um for example as well as, if we were going to talk about the episode today i would say this is probably it. their best episode. episode yeah it was their best episode <laughs> londa is so cute we love i'm almost sad that we're not doing it today but you know <laughs> on patreon um also like doom patrol is coming up next month um that kind of things will be on patreon harley quinn season two we've been watching that we can do a uh, season two wrap up on that um umbrella academy Debuts on Netflix season two, uh, like next oh, month. So maybe we can yeah. do something to the, to the lead up of that. Um, so we got, we got ideas. So if that's something, any of that is what you're interested in to, uh, interested in listening to, you can sign up to be a Patreon subscriber. Um, I think it's like $10 a month, right? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So if that floats your boat, we offer at least as much as HBO Max does. <laughs> <laughs> We and we're cheaper than HBO. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we also watch stuff that you don't have to. So if, you know, if you don't want to spend the money on a DCU subscription or HBO Max, then just listen to us rant about it. Um, <laughs> in the news, we had a lot of news stuff. Is especially Batwoman. It's just like it's going from one thing to the next. So of course, we talked about last week how. Um, instead of recasting Kate Kane, they are bringing in a whole new person called Ryan Wilder. That's their, the casting call script name. So who knows what that character's actual name is or how they were related into the story. Um, but this week we got some more news, or I guess like, you know, like right after that, there's some more news and I didn't know that it was like legit. I was like, huh. Um, but there was a, I think it's Cinescope. Um, revealed that Vanessa Morgan has been eyed to become the new lead of Batwoman. So potentially Vanessa would be this Ryan character, um, which was, you know, surprising to me considering that the showrunner for Riverdale very publicly told her that he would do that better by her character. Better, right? <laughs> so we we also know that he's going to lie. That he like, you know, promises yeah. to do better on a public platform and then they like kill her off in the five year jump on Riverdale. That I don't know how that's gonna go down. Um but she, she doesn't have the 
role yet. They, I think she's just like a front runner for it. And so that the the article said that she had to do some or would have to do some chemistry with some of the characters. So that same that same first article, right? It wasn't confirmed by someone. Else. No, it wasn't. I don't think it was. Okay. I don't think it was ever confirmed by another source. It was okay. just one um, cinescope. So or whatever it was called. <laughs> I think it's I think it's called Cinescope. Cinemascope. <clears throat> yeah. Because so. I was going to say, I, on the one hand, I, when Vanessa first spoke out about Riverdale, I was like, she must be off the show now. Right. I was Otherwise, afraid. why would she say anything? <laughs> why be um, Yeah. But then RAS came out and was like, no, we're going to do better. So it's like, do I believe this story? Or is that same <laughs> thing? Like, don't leave Riverdale. Don't go do Batwoman. <laughs> I will do better. You will get I don't know. Thing. Well, I mean, if she was. If she is being eyed for the lead and she does get the job, I mean, that's her pay raise right there. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I will do better by sending me to a different show. I think, I can't remember, um, this, I think someone else was like, you know, it's also, um, credible, more, it makes it more credible that she is calling out Riverdale if she's being eyed for Batwoman because she can be like, you know, look at what behind door number two that I can go to. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's like pressuring Riverdale. You know, if you say you're new better than, you know, Pay up, give me my like storyline. So maybe she's like weighing her options and having this leak out that she's the lead uh, yeah. in the frontliner position could be a good move for her. So all that kind of stuff. Um, speaking of Ryan Wilder and this new character, um, there is, I think, I don't know if this was in a leak casting call or I think one of the fanboys that always puts up like stuff about like casting calls and, and things like that. I think it was from like a fanboy that one of the leaked um, auditions had in the script that Kate King was dead. And so that was going around. And so Carolyn Drive had to speak up and say, no, we're not killing Kate off the show. Um, and she said that one of her Kate's disappearance plays a big role in season two. It's integral to the plot. So, I mean, Tati, this can roll into your wish list theory <laughs> that, you know, Ryan comes in as like an intermediary and then Kate comes back with a new face later on, right? Yes, I am hoping that this is going to be the storyline, like, oh, Kate is missing, so this girl's going to take over. But then Kate comes back with a new face <laughs> and then I'll just keep the girl. They're like, oh, you did a good job. You can be. Yeah, she can be like the, what's night? Bird. bird or whatever. Flame bird, yeah. So that's what I'm hoping. Because I think, and that would give them hopefully time to find the perfect KK. Right. Um, instead of what they were just like, mm, let's be out of hat. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing about Vanessa Morgan, if she is like, if it's true that she's a front runner with her, um, being mixed, then it also could, you know, if it ties into the, maybe she's Bruce and Selena's kid, then that means, you know, Afro-Latina Selena would be canon in the Batwoman universe, so that's cool. Yeah. I would prefer that. That would be like the only way I accept that, because if it's just some rando, then it makes zero sense. Um, but based, I mean, like she, Caroline Drys did a couple of interviews too, that it sounded like that this character was invented solely for the show. And that's yeah, where my that's, concern yeah. is because she didn't say that. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's an established comic book character. So yeah, it's really an OC. 
which, but that doesn't mean she can't take over an established comic character position, just like Tina did. Because I think, like, the the story was that, um, the, Ryan's background was that Scarecrow killed her mother. So obviously when we kill Selena, but, like, if, you know, woman, if it, like, later revealed that this woman was her adopted mother because Selena and Bruce can take care of her or something like that. I don't know. I'm making up my own canon right now. So (laughs) just like every other member of the Wayne Kane (laughs) Kyle (laughs) who just keeps up and disappearing for no reason. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll, I guess we'll see what they do with this um, because they made a real mountain out of it now. So we'll see if it's actually a molehill when the season returns. Um, moving on, Hartley Sawyer, we talked about his disgusting tweets last week. Um, there were consequences for those tweets because he was fired this week from The Flash. Um, Eric Wallace, the showrunner for The Flash, released a statement um, saying basically it was a zero-tolerance policy on the show for racism. A lot of the... Uh, Tweets made him mad as hell, and they were just not going to stand for having it on the show. I'm trying to find his, his quote. Um, or you could find Grant's. I, I did. I went to Grant's. He says, like, concerning his social media tweets, they broke my heart and made me mad as hell, and they're indicative of a larger problem in our country. Because at present, our country still accepts and protects the continual harassment, unconscious or otherwise, terrorizing and brutalizing of black and brown people, which is far too often fatal. That's why our country is standing up once again and shouting enough and taking to the streets to bring about active change. And he goes on to say he is also committed to bringing about permanent change to the work environment on The Flash. Um, that includes adding voices for black and brown um Characters like around voices to shine through, and he wants to extend that to beyond the scenes to hiring black and brown writers, directors, actors, producers of all genders to help the flash stories. Um, so that was his uh, statement, and then Grant said ditto, <laughs> and, all of the, and then Stephen Amell and all of me were like, "Oh my God, Grant, you're so." <laughs> Grant was so eloquent when he spoke about so the He felt as a black man. <laughs> so then Grant was like, you know, uh, by my showrunner, Eric Wallace. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, a lot of people, uh, looking at it now, there's over, like, 11,000 comments on this post. And if you open it up, some of them, some of these people are, like, super ridiculous writing paragraphs about I'm so disappointed in you, Grant. How could you? Hartley changed. Wasn't Ralph's whole character's arc about changing and da 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 And, you know, just, like, bombarding him with, like, all of their, you know, white guilt. As, as if they ever even cared about him or... Right. Really, they, they or don't. People just come out of woodworks as, as Elastic Man fans. Where yeah. did they come from? And it's funny There's because, like... like, was like, my wife, she went to bed. She was crying because... <laughs> So Good job, guys. She made my wife cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People were being really extra and for like no reason. And I think, I mean, we know that they were not mad that necessarily mad that Hartley was fired so much as that they were angry that Grant was siding with 
black show, which is what he should do. Like he is yeah. the lead of a show. Like, you're talking yeah. about it's it's his show. It's his responsibility to like stand behind the showrunner. So he did what he was supposed to do. Um, and he hasn't unfollowed. I don't think as of now he hasn't really unfollowed Harley, and neither has Candace. Um, the Danielles did. They unfollowed him with the quickness. Um, <laughs> But not gonna catch you know. them following us. <laughs> huh? You're not gonna catch them following Hartley. No. <laughs> like, no, we're in danger follow. if we follow him. <laughs> yeah. Not in danger from, from Angie Kreisberg, but you know, Hartley. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, but what I was gonna say is I'm very happy that first off that, that Eric gave an official statement and also that he said he wants to hire more black um artists, you know, and create it on the creative side, because I think that's incredibly important. However, um, I know, I feel like it's because, like, this is what we're talking about right now, so there's no need to dilute it, but I was like, he also said a lot of, like, really violent things That's what I, yeah. towards women, you know? like That was what, I, I guess, and I guess that was my thing, too, because I can understand, you know, because it is a Black Lives Matter movement is what mm-hmm. is the trending topic, I guess, right now, that framing it under that makes it more clear and easier, exactly. but I'm also like, there's a lot of, like, sexually violent things in there. Right. Like, I'm like, I think that we have to fire him until we investigate whether he actually did assault his, his girlfriend or yeah. cut off people's boobs. Like, I don't know. We just look into that. <laughs> but anyway. But, like, so, but I, I am very glad. I was very happy with the statement that he did make. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And I also feel like it was sort of, like, to make it unequivocal. Because right. maybe misogynistic humor is actually quite common. <laughs> you know what I mean? Still very common. So it's like, eh. It's fine. So this way it's like, it's not fine, see? Because it was also racist. Yeah. And, yeah, and it definitely says, like, I mean, because I was surprised. We all had known about his tweets and whatever beforehand. And here I'm thinking, like, oh, you know, well, you know, Hartley's a white guy. He's going to have his little white man privilege. People are just going to turn a blind eye or he'll get, like, a slap on the hand. Don't do this again. Um, So I'm really glad that. You know, it seems that something behind the scenes at WB is changing and that Eric, and I feel like Eric being showrunner also made a difference because if it was anybody else that's put them on. It was Todd or AJK. Yeah. They probably, like AJK probably hired Hartley to be honest. Um, (laughs) And what's um, interesting about people's like arguments is that these tweets weren't like nine years ago. They were from just a couple of years ago even, you know, so it's not. It spanned several years. It didn't just happen yeah, like yeah. once and then. Once. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly didn't think that they were going to fire because it went like a week and we didn't like hear anything. Um, and I honestly wasn't sure if they were going to do anything just because it was revealed in the middle of a lot of other things going on and they're not even back to work yet. So I figured at the most he would probably you know, be removed from any kind of like social media and like no more Instagram takeovers. And then maybe like behind the scenes, they send him to like sensitivity training. And I thought that was going to be the end of it. Um, So it was really like a strong stance for them to be like, no, we are not going to put up with this. And and you have to go like whether I I think like, I don't, you know, because it it ended so like abruptly. It went from 2012 to 2014, 15, and I don't know if that was like right when he started like getting more major roles. And so they're like, his team was like, Hartley, you need to stay off the internet and only talk about dogs, and that's it. Um, <laughs> but it just seems like you know, there's, you know, it would make 
again, like I was saying, like some of a lot of his tweets, especially like the sexually violent ones about women, he included like tweets about going to auditions and you know trying to look at women's breasts and secret boobies and all that kind of stuff, and it would just make me uncomfortable as a woman to work with him. And I think also like when Sky Jackson like exposed Hartley again on Twitter. There's um, one girl that used to be his neighbor or whatever, and she also had a run-in with him over, like, a, a homeless man, and she didn't really have a really good experience with him. So it's just, like, the more things are revealed, I don't know how you can not take a strong stance against that, especially with the new um, platform that Warner Brothers is trying to build about being an inclusive, safe space for everybody. So. That is that on that. Um, Candace was supposed to have a Where the Buzz interview this week, but unfortunately that was postponed. So I was I was getting very excited because it was like, <laughs> about to pop off. Um, but that's been postponed. So um, when that gets rescheduled, then we'll hear about that. Um, Kayla Cherie Compton, um, she plays Allegra Garcia on The Flash. She also like this morning. Um, or earlier today, because it's morning for me, but did an Instagram IGTV video about a racist DM that she got about a co-star um, in her DMs. She didn't really say the co-star, but, I'm, you know, chances are that someone was being racist about Candace. And, and she, most likely in defense of Hartley Sawyer. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah, that sounds about right. And so Kayla got on her and she looked very like very shaken and she was taking her time um but she was very like eloquent and and thought out and just basically 100% put her foot down for the entire platform like I don't know if you thought this was a safe space for you but it is not um and she's basically you know standing up for her friend her castmate and saying that she wants to continue to use her voice as an ally to to do better and just let people that are racist know that you do not find shelter on her social media platform, which I think is great. And I think I was telling May earlier, I think maybe we should have put her on like the, the white ally list (laughs) (laughs) yesterday. I feel like we forgot her. Oh yeah, we did forget her. I think that she and Victoria have been consistent and, and supportive. And I guess I was, when I was thinking of it, I was thinking of her with Victoria and Victoria being POC, I was just, I kind of like put them in like a little package. <laughs> right, right. But yeah. So yay, Kayla. Um, and I think we are, we already talked about, or briefly mentioned that Stephen Amell was trying to, he dug himself into a hole last week with T. Franklin and, and his, um, obtuse remarks about Black Lives Matter and, and being pissy at Grant. And so, you know, he's trying to, he tried to like, be black for a day <laughs> and he like put his header was black and he was like profile pictures black he's like I look black lives matter and that didn't work out so he just stopped it and then um, I guess this was like part two of his performative activism like trying to get attention by praising Grant for reposting Eric <laughs> I feel like he was trying to get him back on his podcast and yeah just, probably at this point it's like mm, am I gonna be on there anymore at all because it's you tried to use my words or Eric's like we're not friends anymore. my own yeah, because then he came friends. back. He was like in caps. He's like, "This is, you know, I'm our leader, showrunner." 
I mean, other than the like the news stories that were going around, I probably like that was uh, that was Stephen Shade. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, also, a little bit of feedback. I'm sorry, this intro section is going to be like hella long, but um, we did get some feedback from our previous episode, and we did get one from a first time emailer, Corey from France. Um, Corey says, I am very sorry to only at least be back now after more than two years listening to your podcast and other silence. Oh my gosh. Wow. Thank you. Um, it's painfully shy. Another gathered the courage to leave feedback. Um, your podcast has sparked joy during many dark moments for me and I can't thank you enough for your dedication and thorough analysis and honesty. Thanks, Corey. Um, about the Ruby Rose situation, I agree with you that they need to recast and not bring in a new character. Even if it's good, they're keeping Batwoman gay. Losing Kate means all the connections and relationships, progressions that have been built through season one, especially the growing bond between Mary and Kate. Kate was finally starting to trust Mary and express her feelings to her. Introducing a new dynamic would be so messy. What about Sophie? Is she supposed to trust this brand new Batwoman she doesn't know like that? And what is the point of Julia, even without Kate, except it's still Sophie's scenes? Even the weird Jacob hates Batwoman plot has no point whatsoever because the tension that his daughter is the one beneath the mask is terrible and, and terrible wig. <laughs> um, keep Kane, keep Kate Kane as Batwoman CW. If Spartacus has pulled it off, so can you. Um, 100%. on the Danielle, yeah, on the Danielle thing, Corey says that I was shocked to hear that many of the receipts you guys had on some of what she did. I only watch the shows and I don't keep up with the cast and crew outside of that, and I don't have social media, so this was all new information to me. I thought she was a white feminist who promoted herself, but I didn't know that this it was this bad and that she simply wasn't supportive. Um, she wasn't simply unsupportive of Candace, but doing tons of things that undermined her role and importance on the show. That was straight up manipulative and insidious. Blah, blah, blah. That was straight up manipulative and insidious, and it definitely reads as racist to me because I don't think she would have dragged it this dared go this far if Iris was played by a white actress. Mm-hmm. She would. Um, Corey speaks truth. On Stargirl, please keep covering the show. <laughs> we, will, oh, no. <laughs> we, we will do we will do our best and recap the season for you. I promise. Um, <laughs> yes, it, there's like you don't have to do season episode by episode. Just maybe your thoughts on the season overall, which I, oh, I yeah. agree with that we can do that we definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Stargirl fans are coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> Please don't go. Um, about they Harley do Quinn. exist. <laughs> and just to answer, um, we do watch Harley Quinn animated TV show, and we do like it. I think. Yeah. And we, we we recap season one, and that's on our Patreon, and we will be recapping season two once it's over. So we can you can also look forward to that on there. Um, we will, as always, upload all of the feedback onto Tumblr as well. So because Corey had a lot more to say, and I just couldn't get you know, to say it. We love to read what you say. Yes, thank you so much for your email. Um, And then Renee, really quickly, has an open letter to Danielle fans. Um, She's like, I haven't sent feedback in a while, but listening intently to your podcast, enjoying every minute of it. As always, you ladies make great points and timely and relevant to topics, fair with the criticism and measured with the praise. I just wanted to send this email as a sort of open letter to Danielle fans who have See, have been camping out in your inbox since your last podcast about racism and white allies in the DCTV universe. <laughs> I sense under the impression that Danielle should get a pass for the things, for things that the rest of us are done giving white people passes for, which is something I'd, I'd love to help set straight. First of all, we are past the point where we ask 
how white people benefit and contribute to white supremacy. If you're a white and, and quiet, you, if you're not, God, I can't talk today. If you are not actively anti-racist, you are contributing. And if there was ever a time to speak up and make your stance position clear, this moment is it. Otherwise, people will decide your stance for you and it won't be to your liking. Right now, the whole world is having this very important conversation about how white people perpetuate, perpetuate, (laughs) can't talk, about how white people perpetuate white supremacy. It doesn't always come in the form of police brutality and extrajudicial murders, as we've seen with black women like Amber Riley and Samantha Ware. It can come in the form of white women actively or even passively making workplaces uncomfortable and unsafe, to the point where black women don't feel comfortable speaking up about it until years later. Rather than have this difficult but necessary conversation, Danielle's gone radio silent. It's no secret that she has been complicit in the racism Candace has faced. If Grant, someone who actually supports Candace's casting, can acknowledge that he played a role by ignoring it, then there should be no argument that Danielle played one also, even if her only trans question was being quiet when she should have spoken up. Although we can all see that it was much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, if fans are scared that calling people out might mean trouble for their favorite white actors, they need to reconsider their priorities and reconsider the kind of people they lent their support to. Because with everything going on right now, the last thing in anyone's mind should be protecting white people from the consequences of their actions. I'm glad you ladies have continued to call out this behavior from Danielle and others like her, and I'm glad to see that it's gaining traction, hopefully making people rethink their behavior or, in some cases, their job prospects. Um, Renee had much more to say, and we'll go in full on Tumblr. Um, Thank you for your insights. Um, We also had on Adora721 left a comment on the podcast um, Potomatic site. On the podcast? On the Potomatic site, yeah. Oh my god. I feel like Adora is the, usually the only one. Yay, Adora. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Adora. Adora says, I, I know Danielle won't be fired, but I hope they don't renew her contract after season seven or ship her off to Stargirl to hang with high school. Um, some think that the powers would be really like Danielle and will keep her after season seven, but AJK had tons of clout. Um, but then was shown the door. I think Candace's mental health will improve when she doesn't have to deal with the microaggressions for 16 hours a day, five, seven days a week. Thank you for this. Thank you. So, Very true. yeah, you know, they don't have to fire her outright, but they don't also don't have to renew her contract is what I'd say. Um, and then we also, uh, also with the white allies podcast, we had a, a anon on Tumblr. They're asking about where would we place like Kyler and Ruby. I didn't get to answer it, because um, honestly, and I didn't honestly didn't put them on there because I didn't really know <laughs> where to. Where <laughs> I to think put Kyler them. is probably on the. What's the one that's not like God tier, but like is like good tier, good, good, good tier. Good. Yeah, yeah. I was like when I was going through it, I was like, I don't know, because I just don't see her being active in general. So at the very minimum, I'd have put her on like side eye tier, like Emily Bet spectrum of that tier but then also i feel like there's a lot that kyler you know she's very open about her mental health and she also recently this is also news she also came out recently mm-hmm. um as queer um mm-hmm. i don't think she put a label on it but right. she did say that she you know identified the the whole storyline of alex coming out felt very real because it was also very real to her mm-hmm. um so you know there's probably a lot of different factors in it. And I think um, Ozzy also, she tweeted a screenshot of messages that she gets from Kyler, you know, just checking mm-hmm. in on her to see if she's okay. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that she probably does 
behind the scenes and, and definitely Ozzy feel supported. So I think that would, you know, put her in the good tier for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then Ruby was also, um, you know, she posted some things about George Floyd and I think before, um, but I just don't really follow her yeah. that deeply to know a lot about what she does. When, I mean, she definitely, you know, like one thing we can say is she was clearly like, she would post stuff with um, Megan Tandy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and was, like, supportive of the ship openly. So, there's yeah. at least that. Yeah. So, that was, you know, we had a ton of feedback. Thank you guys so much for that. Um, I know, it's been and, a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, will, we will add your feedback to our Tumblr page. We also had feedback for this Love Boat episode, which you're about to get into, and we'll just read that feedback in the sections where they go. So, the format of this episode um, if you're new to the Love Boat series, it's just a discussion on anchor ships, which are the the main ships that anchor the show, and the subships or submarines. So you have alphas and betas, and subships are the betas that kind of run underneath the show, parallel to the to the anchor, and kind of help um, boost the anchor ship or keep the show afloat if the anchor's having separation issues. Um, so the last part that we did was up to the first half of this season. Um, we had Arrow in that half, the, their final Love Boat episode, and so now that's been replaced by Legends, because Legends hadn't started yet. Um, we'll talk about the show's treatment of the ship this season as a whole, the writing for the ship, whether it's doing its job of anchoring the show, the overall strength of the ship's armada of ships. Um, and because not all pairings need to be canon to ship it, we will include a crack of choice. <laughs> crack ship. It is not a canon ship, but I wish it was. And how likely you are to be, um, I guess, like what our expectations are going into the new seasons whenever we start them back up. So, Tati, you are our host, and you can kick it off. And uh, Jessica already did a wonderful job of introducing uh, what we will be talking about this episode. So I will just say that in previous uh, versions of The Love Boat, we have attempted to identify the anchor ships versus submarine ships, etc. But everything is pretty much settled um, in Arrowverse thus far, so instead we will just be discussing the state of the ship. And that being said, I also did create a new category um, that, depending on whether you are British or American, is buoy or boy, um, which is (laughs) what you have to use to pull up the anchor when it is stuck. Um, And so I'm using this for, um, and normally, otherwise, it just floats aimlessly. It just floats aimlessly by your boat until you got to do something with your anchor. <laughs> so um, I'm using this for ships that are running, like, in opposition to the anchor ship, but are, like, plot devices for it. So there you go. Oh. Yes, you understand. <laughs> okay, so starting off with our golden child, The Flash. And also, different from other episodes, I will just say my thing, because I feel like um, my feelings... A are accurate are valid. and are an, <laughs> yes are valid are an introduction to the discussion of the ship and then I will toss the you know toss the line <laughs> to <laughs> Jessica or to May. So Golden Child is the Flash and of course uh, without a doubt the anchor ship is West Allen and has been for six years now. Um, and I think that many West Allen fans have noticed the uh, reduction of scenes between them. And also, especially the reduced uh, domestic moments between them. And many have railed against Eric Wallace, how he has betrayed us, because he does not love West Allen the way that we thought he did. 
Um, but I would argue that they are still the driving force, especially in the back half of the season. The plot was their marriage is in danger, the swapping of irises. Will Barry notice? Will he rescue Iris when he does notice? So they are still very much a um, well of ideas for the writers. We even have in the description for season seven, it says, oh, a new you know, threat that also threatens their marriage or whatever. So clearly, if this is a thing that the writers all like, these villains like leave their marriage alone, leave them alone, get a job, stay away from them. They're like, it's exactly. so strong, I must break it. Exactly. I hate through love, I gotta get rid of it. But, um, we see that it is still very much a story generator, even in the first half of the season with, um, I was about to call him Bloodsport. What the hell is his name? Bloodwork. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, when Barry is, like, possessed, and then it's, like, possessed by Bloodsport, Iris has to, like, pull him out, like, home, come home to me, Barry, blah, 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 blah. So it's definitely, I would say, um, reduced from previous seasons, but still very much the anchor for the show. Um, and we can see that, like, in a decrease of big epic moments, which normally we'd have, like, one really big episode at the very least that we just, like, can't stop talking about, and I don't know that we really had that one this time. Possibly Liberation might be it because of the epic separation scene at the end, you know? And they're like, I'm going to find you. Uh, yeah. just didn't get the resolution because he didn't get the last few episodes, so it just kind of feels like not really. Um, but we did still get some other big moments, too, like Love the Battlefield. We got our first Valentine's Day episode with the wrong iris. Um, <laughs> and, cry- and for, like, the first time ever, I think, uh, West out even including their actual wedding, West Allen got, like, a proper, like, epic you know, uh, moment in the crossover. So guys would be like, okay, Iris, I have to go now. I love you. I'm going to go die. Just kidding, Iris, I didn't die. So, <laughs> that was new. That was new and different. Um, um, and yeah, and then, on the, and then in terms of fandom, I would say, well, actually, we can talk about fandom after. So, what are your feelings on the way that uh, the ship, or the route the ship has taken this season, Jessica? Um, I think it's kind of funny and going off of the crisis and Barry being the paragon of love and how, like, the big moments that you talked about and that we saw in crisis of, you know, Iris and, and Barry kind of being there for each other and, and being each other's, like, support. And then you go into the back half of the this, this season and <laughs> never have two people been so far apart and yet so strongly <laughs> together at the same time. <laughs> we only had, like, really one episode in the back half of the season with True Iris and then she gets lost in the mirror and we don't see her with that Rena Barry at all at the end of the season um, since it was cut off so abruptly. But it was kind of a weird back half for Wes Allen Shippers, like angry <laughs> I think. Um, I like the concept, you know, of Iris investigating and then there's like mirror duplicates running around and you know who's who's who and all this kind of stuff but I feel like the longer that the story of Iris in the mirror dragged out the more strained it became to watch Barry struggle to connect with Siri or this like mirror Iris and doubting <laughs> their marriage and connection um and I mean, like, I thought, like, the absence was supposed to make the heart grow fonder or at least, like, more desperate to find the other person. But since he didn't know, um, it's it was kind of 
frustrating for fans to watch and not even just West Allen fans but I think fans in general like Barry like how can you be so dumb and you know, we had to join the Barry defense squad for like a moment to be like hold on wait like wait a minute but I think like <laughs> I think like regardless of the fact that Siri which is what Candace calls her um was so great at fooling everyone because she is like a mirror person and as Eric Wallace said like 98 percent of her is you know Iris's soul or Iris's like mirror version and that two percent is her being controlled by Eva um and she, it, she didn't just fool Barry she fooled Joe she fooled everybody but it just puts a strain like I, I feel like some people also would think that it puts a strain on the whole like golden standard um I will find you anywhere you are my soulmate you are my lightning rod like how does lightning rod concept not come up at all in the back half of the season especially when she's trapped in the mirror and he doesn't know she's gone. Like there's, it seemed like they were doing at the beginning, I think in episode 10 or 11 or wherever, when he's like sitting by himself and he gets like this feeling and looks at the mirror, like that's strange. It felt like that could have been like a lightning rod concept. And then that just never kind of connected through the rest of the season. So I felt like that was like a real missed opportunity. And I also feel like if they would have just released revealed to bury the suspicions earlier that this was not the real iris then we actually could have gotten what happened in the episode 19 a lot earlier um candace could just be flat out evil and not have to (laughs) you know pretend anymore Mm -hmm. um but you would still get like even if you know you could still do that reveal and have that tension of iris being actively on Team Evil, um, the real Iris also still being stuck in the mirror. Like you still do that tension and you know the desperation of, of Barry trying to like get Iris out of the mirror. Um that I you know, I feel like that would have added some more excitement than just Siri hiding in plain sight for as long as she did. Um right. Yeah, like Barry's spidey sense tingled like once and then filled half fizzled out for the rest of the back half of the season. So I feel like that kind of um you know, it, it made more distance between the characters and you could feel that in the fandom. And I know, like Eric said, like, you know, he's already thinking towards seasons eight and nine. He's got it plotted out and he's got it plotted out specifically for how Wes Allen navigates these seasons. Um, but I also feel like in the, the script synopsis for season seven, there's that, you know, like you said, there's that thing like, this villain threatens to tear what's someone's marriage apart. I'm like, why? <laughs> why does <laughs> their the marriage have to be? Yet. Yeah, their marriage hasn't even started yet. Like, they got married and Nazis crashed their wedding. Like, they have not had a break since they got married. Um, so let's like build up the marriage first <laughs> before we start like taking it apart. I don't know. That's just a thought. <laughs> Yeah. What are um, you well, like in thinking about this season, you know, in hindsight, now that we have all the episodes, even though it was like, you know, abruptly cut almost. off, almost <laughs> all the episodes, <laughs> it does, obviously, like there's still a major pull towards West Allen and these writers haven't abandoned like they haven't abandoned ship you know <laughs> no, definitely <laughs> not in thinking like 
because I've been thinking a lot because I've been watching Agents of Shield and I've been thinking oh, a lot about like yeah yeah I don't even mention that even though even though like I don't watch Agents of Shield I, I've seen you guys like <laughs> complain <laughs> enough about yeah. how they put like what what are their names Fitzsimmons Fitzsimmons yes together and then they are never together <laughs> yeah exactly that and this has been like ever since the beginning and you know and in terms of like sci-fi shows in general, if we're going to compare, you know, sci-fi couples, um, yeah, West Allen is probably one of the gold standards of the whole genre, to be honest. Um, because, you know, you see separations in terms of, you know, going back to Fitzsimmons, where like he's gone for several episodes and Simmons never even mentions him by name like once for a good a good while and he just he's just gone you know he's not even a blip on the radar versus like this season I guess of of the flash whereas even though you know people got frustrated with Barry not knowing that it was Iris or looking for Iris like when we got to the point of him realizing that it wasn't really Iris we saw that oh my god I need to get my wife back um mentality so and and even when he didn't actively know, the fact that the audience knew that something was off sort of made the season feel off because their relationship was off kilter. Mm-hmm. So it really like impacts, it still heavily impacts the story um, very much so. And I think that, I mean, obviously their ship has been going on for a long time now. They've been together since officially since like season three. So this is the, you know, the end of season six and it's still, even though they're much fewer and far between when we do get those big epic moments, like it's very much an anchor for the show. Everyone like flips out, you know, people are all up in their fields. <laughs> it's like those iconic moments, like, you know, like yeah. Tati said in liberation, when that happened, that they were like talking to each other across space and time. And yeah, you know, it that was, was epic. That, like, yeah, shit. exactly. Yeah, it was Real like, soulmate shit. yeah, still the events or moments that people talk about, right? Yeah. yeah. Get in everyone across the board, not just West Allen fans. Yeah, exactly. So like, they're very much still the, a big deal, you know, and, you know, Obviously, there's less domestic moments, which we always want to see more of, um, and they could spend more time together. But the fact that the back half of season six specifically was anchored in many ways on it hinged on their relationship. Um, And, you know, as much as we wanted Barry to figure things out sooner, like Jess said, you know, they could have sped it up and had Mirror Iris be evil quicker and, and whatnot. It's still was very much the disconnect. Like, people felt bad. Like, Iris was in the mirror. Oh, my God, someone needs to get her out because her and Barry are apart. Like, no one can stand them being apart for um, as long as they have been. So the whole, like, the whole concept of the season wouldn't have worked if their relationship wasn't as strong as it is. Yeah, um, right. So, yeah. And I also so think, like, one thing that we, um, it was a really good scene um, that, we haven't talked about yet, but I think the first episode when we get introduced to Mirror Iris and it's not as clear that we know something happened to Iris and we assume that this is Mirror Iris, but it's not quite as clear uh-huh. um, that she isn't who she's supposed to be. But the conversation between her and Barry where she kind of like lashes out and um, talks about, you know, how 
overprotective Barry is and how she, you know, he won't let her be like reckless. She can't, yeah, he can't seem, she can't be his damsel in distress. And, um, I thought that that was, even though it's not our Iris, um, I think that was like one of the times where her words could have been our Iris's and the fact Mm -hmm. that even though they, they do love each other very much, there is this kind of sense, it's always been kind of a recurring theme in their relationship, but very like going off without really consulting Iris, um, very trying to put Iris in a bubble <laughs> and keep her there and like stay safe in this ivory tower. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe's like locking the door. <laughs> you know? Yep. <laughs> and so I, I do think that was like a really, um, very valid vulnerable point mm-hmm. of the ship that only serves to make the ship stronger because even though it's not coming from our iris because i don't think she would have ever really uh revealed those emotions to barry it helps barry understand his wife better so that when they do get back reunited that the, only, the ship will only be stronger going into like the next season um so that, I mean, this, it's, it's not like there was nothing there or, you know. Right. Yeah, it was way about, I mean, where they are now, even, even if they're still separated from where they were at in general in season five is like an upgrade, I think, um, in and terms think of be, like the focus on their relationship. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think he'll be in a better position to help Iris when she does get out of the mirror and if she's still suffering from like PTSD of right. what happened in there. So there's like, you know, if Eric can finish his vision and we yes. can see it. Yeah, and he, I mean, he did, We obviously we can't trust everything until we see it, but, like, I, what was it that he, you know, he, like us, he wants a happy ending for the couple, so I hope that doesn't mean that there's going to be, that they're going to be reunited and then they're just going to jump into the next big thing without some, somewhat of a small break. Right. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the next thing will be a slow build, you know? Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. But what you said about the the first scene where, you know, in, in the Valentine's episode where she talked about being damsel in stress reminded me that we all thought that the scene where she kicks him out was, like, hollow because it was, yeah. right? Like, because, like, Iris never say that and Barry would never believe that Iris would say that. But then that's it, that turned out to be the case. Like, he didn't believe Iris would say that. He knew mm-hmm. it wasn't Iris because Iris would never say that. And also the key word being home, right? When, when, when she was like, he would never... She would never kick me out of our home because I am her home. So I was like, oh, Eric, remember old lines. So yeah, I do think that was that was a nice like uh, callback to mm-hmm. kind of their soulmate isms, like you know, them being each other's home. So there's there's nice like soulmatey stuff, like the West Allen b- battleship hit off a few. <laughs> hit off a few nice cannons. They sunk some other ships out there. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I don't think we talk about this enough because, you know, they had a really nice uh, crossover moment in the Flash episode, specifically, like their goodbye scene and then uh, Barry, you know, reinforcing the fact that Iris is just as much of a of a hero. And like yes. this, this kind of balance in the relationship that he obviously thinks of her as somebody who's, you know, can rescue people too, even though she doesn't have powers. I think that helps yeah. uh, strengthen their relationship. Um, so the only thing I have to say about the fandom uh, in terms of the ship is just <laughs> that I feel like we've, you know, we are also in the fourth year of our marriage. Um, <laughs> 
And so we've kind of like settled in, like we're not like things are a little stale. We need some, we need some fire reignited. Right. Me, you know, we need a date so, night. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we kind of settled. We settled in. We're not really like as like hopping and active, but it's still a very strong fandom, as I think that we can see right now with all the um, support that Candace is receiving and all the um, appropriate bullying that weird Hartley fans that came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, yeah, so the fire may have died down a little bit, but uh, the love is still there. And hopefully yeah. both the writers and the fans will come together next season for, like Jessica said, a date night. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you anyone else want to add anything, or shall we move no, on? No, I think we should move on. <laughs> All right, we've been here for an hour. <laughs> um, the Flash has several of them. Uh, the first being Cisco and Camilla, or Cismilla, as I don't think anyone has called them, but Jessica wrote into the, into the notes. Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if they have a legitimate name, but hey, that works. Um, now, they've gone out of their way to pay lip service to Cisco and Camilla's love. They even had the only thing that Iris knows about Camilla be how much she loves Cisco. However... They also could not be bothered to even show one scene of Cisco thinking his girlfriend's behaving weirdly when his girlfriend was not herself for like five episodes. Um, so I would say that the total lack of uh, definition for Camilla's character outside of Cisco proves the show just doesn't care about the ship. Because if they cared about the ship, they would, by diffusion, also care about Camilla. And they do not. And speaking of not caring about Camilla, poor Camilla, because the fandom also does not care about her in terms of Cisco. <laughs> we are like, yeah, team citizen. And it's like, Cisco? Mm, where's Cynthia? <laughs> so, so that is my, uh, that is what I have to say about that submarine ship. Um, May, do you have things that you would like to say? Yes. <laughs> um, I too, whenever I see Jessica Camacho, I'm like, come back. <laughs> come back, please. But no, she's, baby, come she's, back. She's thriving. <laughs> but when it comes to, yeah, Cisco and Camilla, I mean, I did like their one episode where they sort of, I wouldn't say that they came into their own, but we got more of them than we've ever seen before. I mean, they were, they're relatively a new ship. They were introduced in season five. Um, but the episode where, um, you know, Cynthia dies. I don't know why I'm air quoting it, but you know, she actually died. I legit forgot that was this season. Yeah. Oh my god, it's been so long. <laughs> so you had like Camilla playing the supportive girlfriend. She was there for Cisco and whatnot, but that was primarily to comfort him over the death of his previous relationship. Um, and so. Like you said, Tati, you know, then when she gets into the mirror, Iris is just like, oh, all these things about you and Cisco, but not her as a person. But still, like, I feel in terms of their ship, all the writers can think about when it comes to Camilla is Cisco. So they don't really think of her outside of that. And that definitely doesn't help the ship because the ship is only strengthened when two people are also separate individuals coming right. together versus like you just being attached to this one man, otherwise, you know, the writers see you as kind of pointless. Um, so I don't think that really helps. And other than that one episode, I don't think that their relationship has gone anywhere. It's just sitting at the harbor, not even, I don't even know if the anchor's been thrown in. <laughs> it could float away at any time. I don't know. <laughs> so it doesn't feel like 
a strong submarine ship. It's it's there, and when they have a couple of moments, it's cute, but there's no focus or investment uh, in the fandom or in, by the writers. Right. I feel like it's, like, half submerged. Like, it can't go all the way down because it's just not strong enough to, to be the submarine. Um, it's, yeah. The whole conversation between Iris and, and Camilla when she's trying to convince Camilla that you know she's the real deal and the only thing it's not even like deep facts about her relationship with Cisco it's just like you love Cisco <laughs> and you said that he's your boo you know like just really like surface level stuff and it wasn't until I think like the fifth thing that she said about like um Camilla is the only one that let wear his whatever shirt and I'm like okay that sounds like a actual fun fact that I would not have known prior um but I do, I, yeah, I feel like the the main weakness of this ship is that the writers don't care about half of it. Um, the whole episode from the first half of the season that was supposed to be their episode, and it was like main, mainly centered around Cisco and what Camilla could do to support Cisco. Um, it didn't really it, it explored his feelings on Cynthia's death, but it didn't really explore anything about her and I feel like the reason for fandom why we cannot let go of Cynthia so much is because one the, the chemistry was fire but also because we spent time learning about Cynthia we, we met her dad we you know knew all this stuff about them and and her feelings on whether she wanted to be with Cisco or not and why and all this kind of stuff and we know nothing about Camilla um we don't even really get that much of her and citizen stuff either um so it's kind of hard to invest in someone that you don't really know anything about. And it's kind of weird that Iris doesn't really seem to know anything about Camilla either, because the only thing that they cared to write about their friendship was stuff that Camilla told her about Cisco and not even stuff that Camilla told her about herself. Like, you know, the fact that Camilla is vegan and maybe that annoys her when Allegra has to order stuff for this team citizen and she wears all this meat, you know, all this kind of like, girlfriend stuff that we just don't know because the writers don't care about it. So Yeah. yeah I was let's, Go ahead. No, I was gonna say my verdict or or you know, my prediction or whatever, my advice, I don't know, would be for the show to invest in Teen Citizen next season and incorporate more of um Victoria slash Camilla yeah. into it so that we can invest more in her as character and then by default especially if like ship. Cisco is going to like eventually fall off the ship then we need to <laughs> invest in Camilla stop, if she's going to stick around spreading these lies Cisco's <laughs> never leaving <laughs> but, yeah. yeah and I guess that's why like um sorry before you go on um you know how like uh what's his face Chester and Allegra were up to series regular, and we're like, oh, I guess Camilla is not going to be series regular. Is that because Cisco is leaving and they don't know what to do with her afterwards? So I don't know. It's strange. Why did I think that she had become a series regular by now? Mm-hmm. But, oh, well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's possible if she's not one and then Cisco's, you know, not even there anymore. <laughs> Camilla may go, too. But I hope not because I like Camilla and I want to care about her. So they should do stuff with her. All right. Next up is Joe and Cecile. Joe Seal. Um, they have in previous seasons been a pretty decent submarine ship. 
Um, and they started off strong this season. They still had a couple of like work clashes or, or episodes that showed how their work intertwined with their relationship. Um, and they also had that really nice, you know, high tension, epic rescue and so long and good night. Um, however, on the downside, um, I think the show just does not remember that they have a daughter, let alone that they have actually three daughters. Um, and so the family side of their ship, um, falls by the wayside, uh, very, very often. And that is like really like 90% of the reason to even have them. So that is a problem. And also, uh, when Joe is even there, he only has like one or two scenes. Um, so <laughs> Cecile is mostly used to like fill in the void of where Joe would have been. So we don't really get that much of them together. Cause it's like either, oh, we'll finally use Joe for something or, oh, Joe's not here. I guess we'll use Cecile as, as female Joe. So, um, so that is a problem for them on the ship. But I think that they are like, you know, um, they're definitely above Cisnilla in <laughs> importance, uh, both in the writer's eyes and, and in fandom. So. I definitely agree with that. I think they are like in in the ranking of submarine ships, they're above Cisco and Camilla. Um, I think Jesse L. Martin's back injury injury mm-hmm. also kind of hurt the ship because it's really limited what he could be around to shoot for, and then also you know set limits what scenes they can have together, and it also adds double duty to Cecile to fill in for the spots that. Joe's absence leaves. Um, so you, it's, I feel like in previous seasons, their connection was a lot stronger just because they had more scenes together. And also there is potential of them to be the old heads, mentors, like experienced right. relationship people to Barry and Iris, which would be like what a submarine ship should do as far as, um, supporting and drawing a parallel up to the ship, to the anchor ship. Um, but just because of Joe's reduced role, they don't really have those that kind of opportunities to do that that often. Um, and then I think Cecile, they have more interest in her as, like you said, like the, the mom of the group. And it's, she did have like, you know, she does have some interaction with Iris. Mm-hmm. But also, like, a lot. Every other person on the ship, or on the ship, on the show, needs some kind of, like, heart-to-heart. And, you know, mm-hmm. whatever version of Wells can't do it because he's an asshole. So it falls on Cecile. So a lot of her time is spent not taking care of her daughters <laughs> at all, but other <laughs> characters on the, sh- on the show. So, yeah. And then Phantom yeah. doesn't really care as long as I don't think, think there's like, in general, there's like a respect for Josiel as the parents of the show. Yeah. But like, there's not like a fandom for them, you know? Oh, yeah, there's not like a fandom for them. Yeah. I think they were definitely stronger last season. I feel like this season they've definitely fallen into the more parental role versus them being as a couple. Like, each person has a time to speak to one of the kids um, and give them some, some words of wisdom. But like, I think after episode three, like you said, with their whole work clash thing, they never really got any solid scenes together 
Um, and then she quit her job. And then so she quit her job. I'm sure a new one that we never saw her do. That we never saw her do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Like, it often feels like, ideally, Juicyl would be a great submarine ship where they would provide that, you know, we're older and wiser and advice giving to West Allen. But the fact is really that West Allen is the advisor of ships <laughs> a lot of the time. So when like any, when Joe or Cecilia do give advice, it's on an individual level as parents versus them giving couple lessons, you know, together. Um, I don't think like, I think after like the first episode or so of the, of the season when they had that, like, Flash family barbecue or whatever. You don't really see any kind of double date situation where yeah. it's like you know Josiel invite Wes Allen to the house to have like a meal or something like that. So those kind of like little domesticity scenes that could really complement each other. Where yeah. little baby Jenna makes <laughs> how they want to have a kid. Yeah, yeah, like Wes like Allen babysitting little baby Jenna never got that. Yeah, no, nope. yeah, but, and it's to see it. And to me, it's, it's often like they they like Cecile in the sort of sidekicky role. Like we've yeah. seen her with, you know, sidekicking with Ralph, and then with uh, Barry once this season when he went on his whole little uh, iris board. <laughs> uh, um, so we get to see her in those roles a lot, but not necessarily in a super like strong ship with joe like like you said they're respected as a couple they're there as a couple you know they're cute when they when they get scenes together but they're not they're definitely stronger than obviously like cisco and camilla but they're still isn't that that sad yeah (laughs) (laughs) that is an indictment on cisco and camilla yeah yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah because writers do obviously care about them more and i think because they care about the characters together um, so when they do get around to being in the same scene together, they're like, oh, let's have them interact. <laughs> um, so they definitely have those great moments. Um, but this season they've kind of slacked off in terms of having sh- more shippies type stuff and being a better, a uh, better submarine ship than season five. And it's too bad too, because another way that they would be a really interesting parallel, um, if the flash were a different, uh, show, um, would be, that both um, Barry and Joe work on for the police. They work as the authority. They work as the system, um, even if they themselves are good people, versus um, Iris and Cecile both making conscious choices to go out, go outside of their system and become a voice for the voiceless. You know, Iris started her role as a journalist speaking up for Metis, and Cecile left becoming a prosecutor or being a prosecutor in order to become a defense attorney for Metis. But we never, ever see that. <laughs> and it would yeah. be a really interesting, especially, you know, to take from, like, not ripped from the headlines, but, like, to talk about issues that are relevant today, you know, mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. They could definitely do that. But they won't. So uh, that's too bad. But that would be one way that they would make uh, Josiel a much stronger submarine ship and Flash a much stronger show. Yeah. But alas. I think if, yeah, if we were on a different network and we had, like, hardcore writers and thinking about like the superhero genre a different way than perhaps. Right. <laughs> but the writers are more invested in this other upcoming submarine yes. ship, yes. which is the winner. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> the strongest submarine. Ship <laughs> we went from like least, like the least submarine it's... ship to the strongest submarine ship. <laughs> the deepest submarine ship. <laughs> the deepest <laughs> submarine. Though to be fair, I, I forgot about them because I didn't scroll down. I'm like, Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
they didn't leave an impression on May, but <laughs> maybe because of recent events, it just, yes. you know. <laughs> Sue and Ralph, I would argue, and clearly don't have to argue because everyone agrees, um, was the clear submarine ship for the season. And um, they accomplished that with the least number of episodes. Because um, not only was Sue only in like four episodes, but Ralph was barely in the season already. Um, and despite that, she was his driving force the whole season. Um, his his story was literally find Sue. And while he was trying to find Sue, we learned so much about Sue that by the time she actually showed up, she was already a fully fleshed character. Plus, the fact that they gave her her own goals, her storyline intertwined with the main antagonist arc, and they ended up on a cliffhanger where it's, you know, in order to resolve the main antagonist arc, they have to resolve hers as well. So they were perfectly positioned to be the beta ship of the show. Um, and hopefully still will be. I hope they recast Ralph. I don't know if I'm the minority opinion in this, like in fandom, but I think that Ralph is at this point has become an important character. And I think that mm-hmm. Sue is a really exciting character. And Natalie Dreyfus is wonderful. And I would not want to lose her because of Harley. So yeah. I really hope. That Ralph I thought Ben cast that, like, let's replace Hartley Sawyer with, like, Brett Deer. I, was yes, like, I can, I can get behind that. It. I yeah. approve of he that. Let's do it. He wants it. Let him have it. Okay, anyway, that's all. <laughs> That's really Pending that he's not a racist, I think yeah. that he's a great, like, comedy actor. <laughs> and, and, he, and he looks similar enough to Hartley that it, you, you know, like, it. A long gated man can get like hit in the face really hard and just like his face. Like, all the white boys in their basements changed. right now yeah. that are crying for Harley would probably just think he was brought back. On the show. <laughs> but yeah, like I definitely, for all the reasons that you stated, and you know, when you're talking, when we're establishing the Love Boat series and how do you just, you know, determine what is a good ship, one thing that we said you had to have like the writers have to be behind the ship and they also have to have Phantom be behind the ship because without the other, then it kind of gets. Um, it, it's not as strong as it, as it could be because there's always one component missing. And I think Ralph and Sue have both of those components because it's clear that Eric Wallace was a, is a fan of uh, Ralph and Sue from the comics and bringing that. It was, you know, one of his biggest things was to bring that to life on screen. Um, and then you have a lot of uh, just in the they, and they didn't have a lot of episodes to do it. And they only had a couple episodes, like you said, but the episodes that they did have, um, I think the comedic timing was there and um, they managed to, like you said, build up Sue as a fully fleshed out kind of character before he even met her. And so like a lot of people were invested in Ralph finding Sue and, and the whole mystery of why she was missing and the fact that she is like a, like dollar like general general brand version of like a selena kyle where she is yeah yeah. so yeah yeah. so there's like a lot of fan excitement behind these this character as well this this couple as well so it's there and they have like a lot of potential to um parallel up to west allen again as like the anchor ship so they i think they have they're in the strongest position to be a good compliment to Barry and Iris. Um, and then obviously this Hartley thing has put like a, you know, branch in it. They had like a huge cannonball to the submarine ship because of that. <laughs> but I think that, you know, if Brett Deer is as sweet as he is in his DMs, then 
they can just like recycle him around to the flash and i think that would work because i, I do think that it is um one of like the the better options for it to be the main submarine ship and so if you find like a good actor to replace and have that chemistry with natalie and i think there's a lot more story with sue that could be told um right. even beyond resolving this season's villain arc mm-hmm. so hopefully they can find a way to salvage that i hope you read my tweet eric <laughs> yeah yeah i agree with that i mean i think what's really sad is that sue has only been on for one season and maybe in like three four episodes at the most and she already has a more fleshed out backstory than camilla, camilla. for example who's mm-hmm. been on the show since last season um so that says something um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I and they're like, they're they're a pretty like strong iconic couple in the comics, and yeah. in the comics they're also really good friends with Barry and Iris, right? So yeah, yeah, to be able to bring that to the show would be like a really positive thing for the show if they can get Ralph C two point to work. So. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they definitely should. I mean, to not going to reiterate what you all said but already because i agree um but they're definitely the sub ship which is wild to have like a new one come in so late in the show and then just kind of like take over the spot right so quickly um and yeah they do have like fan support media support media seems to like them too in general um she has like an interesting backstory you know, they their storylines have come together and come together with the main plot of the show. So they're interesting. Yeah, that's another. That's, that's the other reason why you can see that they're the clear submarine ship is because right. Barry and Iris's main storyline of you know with the antagonist is also yeah. paralleled in Ralph's two storyline. Ralph was like, "Where's Sue?" Sue's like, "God, it's Ralph." And then Cisco's like, "I don't know, Camilla." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord. Um, so final uh, thing for the Flash is our crack ship of choice. Um, anyone have any volunteers? <laughs> this is not – I would not want this character as, like, a villain to be with anybody, but, like, send you. <laughs> <laughs> so Bloodwork and Iris, and honestly, Bloodwork and Barry be my crack Ooh. ships. Oh, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Oh gosh, that's so weird. <laughs> and I feel like Hart, Harley, Hartley, Rathaway would be fun to have like an enemies to lovers relationship with Cisco. Oh, okay. Ooh. I accept the Cisco one, yes. Um, my, I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, the, return, <laughs> the return of Harley, the, and the fact that we saw that one split second of him with his boyfriend, um, I was like, oh, remember the days, and the days are the comic books. Uh, with Harley and Singh are a ship in the comics, and they're like a, they're like probably the biggest side ship in the Flash currently, because there aren't that many. Um, but, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I wanted that in the start, and then obviously that did not pan out. Um, and the age difference is maybe a little bit wonky, but he's 33 years old, so whatever, he's an adult, I don't care. Basically, the point is that I would love to have, you know, police captain in love with criminal, anti-hero, maybe villain, you know, <laughs> situation going on there. I think that would be awesome. And I'm very sad that the Flash does not go there, and they hate me. 
I don't have any crack for the Flash that I can think of strongly at the moment, which means that it's probably not that that dear to my heart anyway. So I'm just gonna like <laughs> dive into Suarez. Love boat feedback. He says that Wes Allen remains the gold standard, even while they were still apart, and the angst and the drama remains so good. Even Barry and Mirror Iris, even it was even if it was too long and we should have had the reunion with an actual Iris, showed how many layers there are to this wonderful and complicated relationship and how much they have to work through on their journey together. This season overall has furthered how my Iris and Barry love and care so deeply for one another and have them actually acting like a married couple and satisfied so much of my West Island heart. Did it reach its max potential? Unfortunately not, with ripoff <laughs> Elsa, ripoff Indy, and ripoff racist Jim Carrey, stealing so much of precious time needed to develop with that. <laughs> you put the clues together and figure out who those people are. Um, he And he said uh, it wasted so much time, precious time, that it was needed to develop West Allen and Team Citizen. Um, side note, the show has way too many characters. And uh, he says, however, the season did overall recenter West Allen in the primary set of protagonists in a really great way, with Candace having some of the, her absolute best material in years, uh-huh. both in and outside of her relationship with Barry in terms of building teen citizens. So that was his thoughts on that. Laura uh, was very measured and correct. Ooh. One other thing before we move on, we've already been on here for like so long. I'm but, so sorry, um, guys. I'm so sorry, non-block yeah. fans. Uh, bias. <laughs> <laughs> but like um it's it's kind of interesting because like when you have like mirror iris and barry and like how it's kind of like a the parallel to like savitar and iris so you have those this is another yes. like mm-hmm. parallel mm-hmm. that West Allen right. have in common the evil half of the other trying to kill them <laughs> and the, the good the good part of the uh and then both trying like, to reach out to them yes the good <laughs> the, like the 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 other half always like reforming and making like the villain side of them hesitate. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, your ship, your ship time. could never. Okay, <laughs> yeah. moving on. You <laughs> making sense? Okay. So now we move on to the middle child, Supergirl. I love how we just said your ship could never, but like all the rest of these ships crash into Mary. No, um, the anchor ship. Lo and behold, try as the writers may or may not, uh, is Supercore. Once again, the winner. Um, the season was absolutely crafted around Lena finding out the truth and lashing out at Kara and Kara suffering the consequences of losing, uh, Lena. Um, and, you know, it, and it began with the reveal and it ended with the apology, even if it didn't mean to end with the apology, it did. So <laughs> great success on that front. And this was this was a very obvious choice on the writer's part to make happen. They even had a flashback episode where they rewrote Supercore history to make it more relevant to the present storyline. Um, and they even had a reflection of the Supercore ship in Lena and Andrea's friendship. So, um, and, and, you know, Lex being like, my biggest fear is that my sister will fall back in love with Cara Danvers. And then... <laughs> literally. <laughs> that is literally it. So, <laughs> so, again, their power. Um, despite this, I, I feel like the writers kind of dropped the ball, um, on the ship, I guess, being the anchor ship or whatever. Like, it still was very much, but, like, they didn't reach its full potential either, A, because they won't make a canon, but B, because, like, Luna's choices weren't, like, as smooth or in character or as they could have been, as logical as they could have been, and they kind of cut out because of some of the process of the ship, which, because they pushed the main antagonist plot so far back. They spend, they wasted a lot of time with like technology is bad um, <laughs> and whatnot. That by the time that they came back around to Lena 
realizing her mistake and then getting back on Kara's good side and then teaming up against um, Lex, the season was just over. So we could have had, it would have been great if we had had, you know, one half of the season of the antagonism, right? And then crisis happens and we slowly have Lena realizing what's gone wrong and that Lex is using her. And then at least get a good, like, four or five episodes out of rebuilding that relationship. But alas, we did not. Um, and part of that was uh, COVID-related. But for the most part, I mean, that was just one episode that we would have gotten extra. So for the most part, it was just that the writers were dragging their feet, like they do in all things Supercore. What do you ladies feel? I think Supercore is interesting in that as much as, I guess, the West Island fandom was frustrated that Barry and Iris were apart for, like, <laughs> Ten episodes. Supercore was like, like fighting hold, for the hold very my beer. beginning. <laughs> hold my beer <laughs> now. Let me tell you. Yeah, but in terms of you know their ship or you know their anchor of the show, it's interesting because I feel like in the beginning of Supergirl we had we definitely had uh, Alex and Kara be the anchor of the show, and this season definitely not that. Lena and Kara had never had a strong relationship, but this season definitely shifted to focus heavily on it and then kind of spin out all the storylines to connect back to that, to their friendship. So I definitely think that they anchored the, uh, the show this season. And we see that in like Lena's rage, like all of her actions are dictated by the fact that Kara betrayed her before and she was so upset and she can't trust anybody. So she goes off on her own and she's so angry. Um, and then Kara is, spends most of the season trying to either get over <laughs> Lena, <laughs> like, Oh, well, you know, either her actions are her own or she was trying to help her see the light for a while before she gave up and, you know, was trying to apologize and make amends. Um, so their relationship was definitely very bumpy, but it was also like they focused the whole hundredth episode on their relationship. And I don't think that any other relationship got that respect in terms of like, focus. No other character was barely in that episode other than Kara and Lima. <laughs> so it definitely shows that the writers are clearly, clearly invested in their relationship um, despite the shortcomings of or that the perceived shortcomings that fandom has in terms of like how they are treated on screen and why they aren't just like making them an actual couple, but at least the relationship and friendship is what has centered this season. Um, even if it kind of like went off the rails a little bit, but it came back to the point where like, Oh, well, yes, we forgive each other and now we're friends again. And now we're going to focus on the same thing. Um, so yeah, they they had like a bizarre season, but it was also like their strongest season in terms of uh centering that relationship on the show. Yeah, I think like it definitely in the beginning of Supergirl, the established anchorship was um the sister relationship between Kara and Alex. And then they had to move Alex into give her like her OTP, so that would move her into like the sub status, submarine status, where you know, being the second strongest relationship to Kara, her relationship with her girlfriend would be the anchor to support Kara um at the top. And so but since she was at the top with Kara, you have to kinda of, like replace that with somebody. 
And for a while, they tried it with caramel, and that did not <laughs> work out. Um, and so then they replaced it, and they, they really built the groundwork for it last season with it being Lena um, and Supercore being the, the new anchorship and that friendship relationship being the anchorship driving into – and the, the threat of losing that driving the being the driving force into this season um and i think that it was definitely it definitely anchored the season because the whole season was about the turmoil of losing this friendship and how it had affected both lena and kara um to negative extremes um and then there's like a lot of like the, the tension and the build of the relationship was first Kara trying to do everything that she can to like repair this friendship. And it's something that meant so much to her and Lena not being in a place to receive it. Um, going to Kara stop, you know, stop caring and like, well, I'm just going to hold you accountable to all the way for Lena to have to like, learn through her mistakes and finally get to another point where she can see um, what Kara was trying to say. And then at the, I feel like at the end with Kara, it felt like, it felt like it was very unbalanced in the way that the writers did it because Kara at first seemed to be giving so much of herself for something that was not really even her fault. Um, it's her secret. And Lena's not entitled to it just because they're friends. It could it could hurt, but the way that they had Lena take that and turn that into uh, well, I'm just gonna fix all the community because my one friend hurt me just seemed to be very uh, unbalanced approach to take in the way that Lena would not forgive Kara in the same way that she wouldn't forgive her other friend Andrea, but Lex who is like the ultimate betrayer, she was falling back into his pocket kind of thing. Um, and she spent all of this time, you know, Kara just like laying herself before Lena and not getting that kind of love or understanding back. And Lena not understanding why she can't do what she wants to do or why this would be like a problem. Um, and I think that lasts way too long. And then you get into the back half of the season, and it's only in the final few episodes when she figures out that you cannot control humanity, and <laughs> and Lex kind of like lays into her that obviously then she kind of like has this realization like all at once. But at the same time, Kara, because of Lex and because of plot device and and you know forced stuff that Lex was doing to make him seem like the guy 17 steps ahead. Kara is, is in the flip situation where Kara is not receiving anything that Lena's saying. And it just felt at that moment to be wasted effort. Like why, like Kara's time to be mad was like several episodes ago when Lena wasn't listening to anything that she had to say. And I felt like at the end when she when Lena was finally listening and Lena was kind of talking up, it just seemed kind of ridiculous for Kara to be like, no. <laughs> and, you know, forget all the things that I said before. I definitely don't like you now. 
kind of, and you know, even with Lena, um, that episode where she came to her over to her apartment and she's kind of like laying it all out and being like very, very vulnerable, and Kyra just, Kyra just kind of like crossing her arms and like looking sternly. Um, I thought it was a little bit, you know, past the point of stern sternness and you know that could have been like a little bit softer um they ended on an okay note like they are they have reached like a resolution of seeing each other so i think going in obviously the 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 fandom strength for the ship is very very high and i think that's another reason why it has stayed as the solid anchor ship despite the fact that the writers don't really seem to appreciate it that much romantically they the writers understand the fandom need for the ship and i think that they use that even though they are not as interested in um going down those options and i think a lot of fandoms uh people in the fandom see that as like baiting the ship um so take that with it how you see it um but going into the next season they spent so much time on so much energy on making the anchor ship the plot of this season. I do kind of wonder what, because they can't redo the same plot. So what right. is their plan for next season and how they plan to either keep this as the anchor ship and move it forward? Or do they plan to move on to option two, which Tati calls the buoy or the, the boy, I guess. If you're... <laughs> Hopefully not that, but I do think that, First, you're very right that Kara's reaction to Lena's apology explanation was just over the top. Um, and I think that one of the reasons for that is because they waited so long. If they had paced the season better and they had actually yeah. cared about rebuilding Supercore on screen, um, then we could have, we could have gotten that same reaction from Kara five episodes ago and it would have yeah. felt earned. And then we could have had, you know, now it's time for Lena to earn back Kara's trust in these episodes, slowly but surely, et cetera, leading to yeah. a fully, you know, like, functional ship again by the end of the season. Yeah, instead, it reminds me... Sorry. No, no, no carry, carry on. <laughs> I just think, but instead, we're stuck here, right? Like, we got cut off, and the next season, it'll probably, like, I can imagine, we'll just start next season with, like, now they're besties again, you know? Yeah, and it'll be, like, the yeah. same status quo, which I, exactly. I feel like, the, like, in the beginning, I've said this before, I just feel like, Instead of having Lena lie to Kara for so long, I feel like, and have Kara believe that they were still friends, I feel like they should have, like, ripped off the Band-Aid in the beginning of the season and have, like, Lena confront Kara and be like, I know. And then just have them, like, not like each other and, you know, openly have it have it be an open fight for most of the season right. instead of yeah. this fake friendship. Yeah. It reminds me of, like, Redemption Ep- uh, not Ep- Ugh. Not redemption episodes, but like redemption story arcs where they have a character who has done all of these bad things and then they come in and they're like, oh, well, you know, I died and that should redeem me. So it's like with this, with this ship, it's some, somewhat similar in the, in the sense that they went so long with trying to, uh, pit them against each other. And so when they're finally on the same page, the writers didn't put in any of the work to actually make it believable that they've gotten there naturally versus like, oh, well, now we need them to fight with each other, and that's why we have them back here at this point. Yes, I agree. (laughs) 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 So moving on to uh, the ship that uh, you guys have teased, 
the the buoy or or you Brits the boy, which makes more sense because you're buoyant. You're not buoyant. I don't yes. know why we think <laughs> we'll call him there's a you in there. <laughs> <laughs> so the boy, the boy, um, William and Kara. Uh, I made up this new category just for them, even though Supergirl has technically needed it in season two, because they always have some other random ass ship that they're trying to insert in there because they don't want to give in to the power of Supercore. So, <laughs> um, now, precisely because, like I said, the show doesn't want to give fandom or the natural turn of the narrative, because I think that we've all, we can all see that the narrative clearly supports Supercore, even if it wasn't. Um, even if it wasn't gonna be romantic, it definitely supports them as like the Lex and Clark of of the show. Yeah. And yet it doesn't really give them that status that they deserve. So anyway, um they introduced William this season to loosen up the anger, right? To give it a little I don't know what it's really just to float aimlessly because they didn't do anything with William. There was no follow through whatsoever. Um first they flip flopped on what kind of guy he was because they introduced him and they were like, Hmm, it's Monel two point and then they're like, No, that's bad. We learned that's bad. So he is, he is a good boy. He loves all people and animals, and he's just so caring, and he brings cookies. Uh, but we're going to also forget he exists simultaneously. Um, and also, like, you know, Kara's like, I will date him, because I have a crush on him. And then we never see them again. Like, we don't know if they're dating. We don't know what the status of the relationship is. We know nothing. So all we know is that um, the people hate to see it. Really hate to see it. <laughs> They hate even when they're not seeing it because they only get one scene an episode at best. So it's kind of just a little boy, a, a buoy, not an actual little boy, <laughs> drifting in the ocean currents, waiting for a moment that the anchor gets stuck so I can just get in there. <laughs> what are your thoughts? I, I mean, I feel like that's, you know, pretty accurate. And, I, and again, I, I feel like, the writers know that Supercore is their strongest ship just because that's what the fandom wants, but they also don't want to invest it. So they need to, you know, just in case it gets too down one row, they need a, like a blocker to kind of stop some of that ship. And that is William this season. Um, I feel like, it's it's kind of I don't know why they thought it was a good idea to have him be an undercover asshole because <laughs> that was not the correct way to go. Um, and they you know they tried to they dug themselves into a hole I think when, by doing that because then people are already suspicious of a new man coming onto the show that they would try to pair him with Kara. Um, so I just think that was like a, a misstep. And they tried to like retcon it into him, you know, just, I just play an asshole on TV. I'm not really one. And ever since then, they've, they've gone over and above almost comically so to make him seem like the perfect person, the perfect man. Um, but when it comes to writing the love interest, and I guess like going into the next season, um, like I was saying, like you can't really reuse this plot for Supercore. Super Again, so like how are moving forward, are they going to move forward and just build on that? Or are they just going to act like nothing happened and they're friends again, which is kind of why I feel like they're going to do it. But then where does that leave William and Kara? Like, I don't really think that it has the strength to go up to an anchor core ship or an anchor ship because one, I don't think the writers care about it that much. And then two, the family definitely doesn't care about it at all. So <laughs> there's not really any kind of like, promise of it 
becoming the lead leading force of the show, in my opinion. Um, I, you know, I think that when they are thinking about it, they're kind of designing it like a uh, Wonder Trevor and having, you know, like Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor and Kara is as a trinity on the DC TV show. She's like the Wonder Woman of the, the DC TV trinity. Right. So I feel like that's, and with the fact that William is like so, um, you know, he's driven by his morals and by truth and, and journalism and justice and all this kind of stuff, it is. He's like, it's very, um, you know, the superhero and the journalist is like a, a very tropey kind of ship, but it just lacks both pillars from the writer's investment and the fandom investment to actually make it float. Is there a single William and Caravan? I don't know that I've ever. I don't seen know that. that there is. And I don't, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think that there is really. <laughs> I, I don't mind speak. You can be you can be anonymous. We will not William blast you. <laughs> yeah, we are we are the William Defense Squad. So it is you know it's it's like weird because like you said like they had one date and the way that they write you know Car developing feelings feelings for Williams is kind of like wishy washy like does she or doesn't she and she has right. like one the the lead up to the date where she's like trying on she's asking Alex for advice so she has to wear the blue shirt or the purple shirt and. Alice is like, definitely go with blue. It's your best feature. And it's just up in purple. I'm like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> you never let this shirt go. I will when, not. They finally, when they finally break up in like season eight, she you're like, like, I she knew like, it. So, it was, was sure. she like so nervous about that she didn't want to like go with like her best feature and she chose a purple shirt? Like, I don't know. Like, what does it mean, Carl? She was going to jinx the relationship. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. And then, you know, they had that one bullet, the pool date and then we never saw them again. We never saw them discuss the date afterwards. They like she. He makes her food. He comes over to the house or the apartment, and he is like on his best manners. Old people and cats love him. He's a great cook. Like all this they kind even, of stuff. They even have the cute, like these cute scene setup of him yeah. saying great things about Cara, about Cara to Cara, Supergirl, girl. and then they just they don't care. Like they they, they don't put that, that in there, and they still don't care yeah. about it. <laughs> And then, yeah, and then they have like, the, the, at the final, the unofficial season finale of, of this season, like, you know, people are like, Kara, you can't go out because, uh, the gods are the mortals or whoever are after you. And so she's like, you know, stuff is happening and, and the groups are in trouble, but she can't go anywhere. And then it's like, William's in trouble. It's like, I must go. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then she goes and, you know, he's shot. Like he's literally shot. And it's kind of, it kind of just like, Peter's out, you know, it was, yeah. that scene was more about the flesh Lena. Yeah, that scene was more about Lena protecting Kara than it was about Kara worrying about William. So it's kind of like, do you like them or not, right? It's like, I don't understand. Yeah. This is, I don't know if this is controversial or an unpopular opinion, but I've always felt like the Supergirl writers don't care to give Kara any major ships. Like, they're wishy-washy on the romance because they're also wishy-washy on her as a character. Mm. Like, and she's I felt that way for so controversial yet so brave. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know they're like Cara fans and I don't want anybody to yell at me, but, <laughs> but well, you know, it's true though. Yeah, and it's been like that for quite some time, you know. Whereas a lot of other characters, like I feel like they know, for example, where. Alex's storylines going and where Lena's storylines going and even where other characters, random characters or storylines are going, except Kara's sort of been at a standstill for 
since maybe season two. <laughs> like she had that moment in in season three where she was kind of at odds with her identity mm-hmm. as Supergirl and Kara, but it didn't really go anywhere. And so part of the reason why her relationship with William has suffered so much is because the writers just they want to introduce something, but they're just they're not feeling it at all. Um, and William's not like a bad character, but the relationship itself sucks. <laughs> like, you know, the relationship yeah. is the blue and pink sweater that Kara cannot decide on. <laughs> it is just like that all the time. Um, yeah. Like the writers, you know, like you said, they take them on a date and then they won't, we don't have a follow up. They spend maybe like a minute speaking to each other and it's rarely about moving forward like where is this going you know are you ever is his coming over bringing food ever going to lead anywhere (laughs) is he going to just continue hanging out and you're just going to decide like you do with James like you're just going to be friends and then move on (laughs) with the rest of your life so I don't know it's just it's really weird but like you said you know even William as a character has flip-flopped like how he started out and then he went to the other end and became like a super nice guy who's practically perfect in every way um mary poppins over here and (laughs) and so like i don't i don't get it you know we've clearly said that the writers are invested in supercore but i feel like they're also invested in supercore because they're super invested in lena but not caro as a person so unfortunately i agree with that um, so yeah, I think we've already said fandom hates it. Um, they are haters. So moving on <laughs> to um, the actual submarine ships from the show, we have the lovely. Actually, I'm gonna say this one first. If we're gonna go from weak weakest to strongest, I'm gonna say John and McGon first. <laughs> 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 just to put that on there, and I was like, what? But they are a ship. They did exist. They are. They did have. They did have shitty moments. The <laughs> they season. are a joke, but uh, a one that I love. <laughs> they're not a joke, but the idea of them being with a marine ship is a joke. Uh, I'm very happy. <laughs> but they are a cannon ship. Yeah. Exactly. They are a cannon ship. I'm very happy to have them gone back. I'm very happy that John gets his kisses. Um, I don't know what else to say because that's it. So, Jessica, would you like to? I, like, there is nothing else to say other than they were cannon and they were on this season. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I yeah, I feel like. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say I hope that they're gonna keep her on. I hope they keep her on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because it was weird when she showed up and with with no kind of like explanation. So I can only assume that that yeah. they're gonna go with somewhere with that. There's no, yeah, there's no context. But I feel like I don't know if they just realized that maybe she was available and they're like, yes, we'd love to have her back on. And then they booked her for next season. I'm not sure, but. It definitely, it was definitely random. Like she just showed up from space. I was like, yeah, hey, John, you know, let's, uh, let's get back together like we once were. <laughs> but at the same time, it, you know, they, they seem to like Jean. So I feel like they, as soon as she showed up, they're like, yes, we're going to get, we're going to kickstart this again. <laughs> so, but yeah, it doesn't qualify. The they have like, two, they have like two episodes. <laughs> It is a raft. It is a nice, dirty raft. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're just rowing along. It's fine. Keeping up with current. Okay. So moving into, um, now we're going to get, you know, this is probably like the most debatable thing ever. Just like, you know, battle of the submarines or whatever. But we've got, I don't know why I wrote Danvers. Danvers is literally her last name. <laughs> Danton. <laughs> Alex and Kelly. <laughs> Are you still going from weakest to strongest, and you think dancing is well? That's why I said this is just this is just 
you know, these two, the other two that are left. Are uh, I see. I see. We are, we are, we are going to debate. We are debating. That's what I'm saying. Um, so Danson, uh, Alex and Kelly, um, they are, they are really nicely formed. Haha. <laughs> um, they've moved along. They've progressed very well, um, throughout the season. And we see them be mutually supportive of each other. And that's very nice. My only uh, issues with it is that I, I feel like Kelly doesn't get enough screen time. to Like, she has a couple episodes uh, in terms of the project, in terms of um, technology is bad. I keep forgetting the name of this company. Obsidian? Obsidian. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, like, sort of, like, trying to stand up to a- Andrea, but we don't really get to see, like, um, progress for them. Like, it's been a whole year. We don't know where... Um, Kelly would even stand on Alex wanting to adopt. Because there was like that one time that Alex was like, I want to adopt. Oh, I didn't go through. I'm so sad. And then like, it's okay. Next time. But next time will be never because they haven't brought it up again. I'm still waiting for that. Um, but otherwise, I think it's been a very solid ship for the show. Um, and they have nice, like they had the episode of Kelly saving, um, Alex, which was great. You know, they had so that, that make reminds me of the Jones and Seal episode on The Flash. Um, and I feel like there is some, something early on, but I don't remember, I don't remember what I was thinking of. One downside, I think, would be, like, when Kelly went off, like, I have to go into hiding because of that one guy. Oh, the brother. Yeah, (laughs) the brother, the brother. But then it was just, like, so that I can say goodbye to James. I was like, why did this happen? Um, but, but yeah, so it's like, so they don't give as much time to Kelly and thus to the relationship as they should, because with the importance that Alex had when it started the show, like just got brought up, her ship should be, should be the like running counter right there to, um, Kelly, Kelly, to Kara and her ship. But since Kara doesn't even have a ship to start with, Alex doesn't really have room to make her ship the, um, secondary one because then it would just be the most important one. So I feel like all the ships suffer because they don't have an anchor ship, a romantic anchor ship to play off of. Which is why I don't know. Basically, my verdict is that I don't know. I wouldn't know that I would say anyone is the submarine ship because there isn't an anchor ship, really. Yeah, but I still think that Danson is the strongest of the betas because I and I will go into more detail on the other ship later. But like the reason, the way I see it, because I do agree that Kelly does not get enough screen time, and I also feel like Kelly and Alex's stories don't get enough screen time. They're kind of running in the background. And they're stable. So there's, you know, they're not really going into any issue where one person is like lying to the other or anything like that. They are just, um, they went zero to 100 on getting them together. But now that they're together, they're just kind of like that stable ship running underneath the current of the season, which is why I would say that they're a pretty, the beta ship or the strong, strong submarine ship. Um, I feel like the only, the only like detractors of it for this season is again, like you don't really see storylines specifically for them um, or scenes where they are together and, and, you know, they're together, but then it's about Kara talking about something else or they they meet up, but it's always like a, a moment and not really a storyline. However, as a counter argument to Brady and Nia, which we'll talk about next, I feel like Kelly at least does have, when she does get screen time, she does get storylines for her own character. Like, she does have 
individual stories outside of her relationship with Alex. And that was basically helped by the fact that she got hired at Obsidian and Obsidian is tied into the overarching villain of the season. Um, she was in a place where she was close to Andrea. And so we got to see stories about Obsidian and what was going on there from Kelly's perspective. And as Kelly is being the door into those kind of stories, she also helped um, with like, she's overseeing the technology and how it helped people or didn't help people, how people got stuck, stuck into that. She also was like the door to help William uncover um, the Leviathan plot she within Obsidian. Leviathan, Leviathan plot within Obsidian. So I do, I do feel like, and I feel like that strengthens her ship with Alex because Alex is important on the superhero side of it, and Kelly was important from the civilian side of it. Um, and then they also had that that scene at the end where you know Alex is kind of struggling. She doesn't have the DEO. She doesn't really know who she is without her uniform, without her gun. And um, Kelly suggesting that you know maybe you should put on a uniform. You had your mm-hmm. uniform taken from you. Maybe you should put on a new one. Maybe you should become like a new kind of something else, <laughs> something different, <laughs> something else. Like, I feel like her Oliver Queen. Maybe you should um, put on blue eyeshadow. Yeah. And so I feel, <laughs> so I feel like um, she kind of inspired that new birth of which. If Alex is becoming a new superhero, that also kind of like makes you feel like, well, what about what about the children? <laughs> They're clearly not there at that stage. Yet. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, it does kind of like that kind of support. It does kind of move them mm-hmm. forward in their story. So that's why I feel like they are of the beta, of the binary secondary ships on the show. I think they're the strongest, even though we don't really see them. I agree with that. I think they're definitely – it's interesting because, like, last season we were thinking, oh, well, they're moving so fast. And then this season we assume they're going to jump into the adoption storyline, and that was just dropped. <laughs> um, but, like, I think the first half of the season was stronger for Danson in general because we got to – you know, things weren't really picking up yet and we got to see them be a little bit more together in terms of just like more moments and um they're just solid. But like you said, they don't have stories as a couple, um, which kind of takes away from them being more solid than they could be. But I really like the fact that at least Kelly isn't a character whose sole purpose is to be with Alex. Uh, like some other sub beta ships. Um, so she has like the writers cl- clearly like her, I think as a person, you know, they, they seem to give her things occasionally. Like you said, she works at Obsidian. She's sort of involved in what's going on. Um, and then obviously they really love Alex. So they give her a bunch of stuff, uh, like her whole evolution outside of the DEO and getting back to civilian life and whatnot. So I think that as individuals, they're very strong, which makes them very sweet and very solid as a couple. Um, But the writers can do more in terms of like making them more 
like giving them more storylines, adding more depth, like when they actually interact with each other, having those scenes, except, you know, like Tati said, because they don't really have a real anchorship, they just sort of suffer because of that, just like, you know, Kelly's or Alex's previous relationship did as well. So it sucks, but they are pretty strong and like enjoyable to watch when they're on screen. And they, I feel like they generally have a fairly positive like fandom um, support. Yeah. I'm definitely now. I mean, last season, not as yeah. much, but yeah. I think they've definitely come in their own in terms of fandom has either accepted them or actively in, been rooting. Embraced Yeah. Embraced them. And I feel like, and, and we talked about this from the White Ally podcast last week, but I feel like a lot of that acceptance for the ship also has to do with the fact that the Supergirl cast was really protective of Ozzy's experience and made it clear that that they loved her and they wouldn't accept any kind of like bullying against her so mm-hmm. either you hop on the ship or you keep your, <laughs> your negativity <laughs> to yourself <laughs> um and i want to say like i totally agree about in terms of kelly getting to come into her own as an individual and being an access point that's very much um in favor of them in the long run in favor of kelly's position and in favor of the ship in the long run i just don't see them as like the submarine ship of the season which i already said i don't think there is one but mm-hmm. just because that doesn't connect back to her relationship with Alex or it doesn't like reflect or do anything for Supercore. But that's a problem more of Supercore not being treated like the anchorship. Right. Um, and less like an indictment of Kelly and Alex. Um, that being said, I do, haters will say it's fake because all of you are haters, but I do <laughs> think <laughs> Brainia, um, is, is, does that more than Kelly and Alex did, and not because it was done well, but because they reflect the idea of being separated because you're lying to, to the person that you love about yourself. Okay. Um, and um, the, the breakdown in communication that they had, which led to the uh, breakdown of the relationship, and one person, Nia, not understanding why the other person has rejected them, like either Lena not understanding why Kara couldn't tell her the truth, or now Kara not understanding why Lena would push her so far away, except so that kind of situation. And again, it's a breakdown because they didn't have them really intersect. And they could have if, again, they treated Supercore like it was the ship. Um, but I think that it was more um, the narrative that they gave them because their narrative was literally about their ship. Um, like, as much as they didn't get very much screen time, mostly because the show does not give a single fuck about Mia and will just erase her from the show whenever <laughs> they don't have something specific for her to do. And it makes me so mad. Um, despite that, Brainy's, like, biggest concern in, like, three-fourths of the episodes when he was not, you know, or when we think when he was not being himself, when he was off being Lex's little minion, was, like, I'm hurting Nia. Oh, oh, Nia's having her whole episode. Let me go to the, you know, let me go arrest Let someone. me make an appearance. Exactly. <laughs> you know, let me go love her from afar. Let me stare at her pictures while I'm at work. <laughs> like, so... Um, And, of course, we already have complained about the fact that Nia's, um, when she gets an arc, um, or when she gets, like, a moment, like, a big moment, like, her coming into her home with her powers at the end, was tied Mm -hmm. to Brainy. You know, it was tied to her actually letting Brainy in. And, again, that parallels was before that, like, when she finally let Brainy in, in her little mindscape dream world, um, is when she learned the truth about who he was and what he was hiding, and also when her powers increased, right? So that is... So, so that is the argument that I'm making, not because I think it was done well or better than Danson or in any way. Danson is clearly a superior ship, period. I just think that the narrative was there for Brainia this season. They just 
failed to actualize it. <laughs> I will agree. I will agree with that. I will agree that they like you have Brainy and Lena who are kind of similar on one end on the Lex side, and then you have like Kara and not Brainy and Nia. Brainy and Lena. Did I say Lena or Nia? Whatever. Uh, they sound similar. Yeah, I understand. Brainy and Lena are both on one side with Lex, whether it be because that they fervently are just like believing in that Lex has changed or that they believe that being on the side is the means to an end versus Kara and Nia on the other side who are kind of like left out and, you know, the whole like not understanding the other person's point of view. But I also feel like if, like you said, it wasn't really executed well. And if that's the way that they were going to go with it, I would, I would think that you would want to go counter to the anchor ship to, to kind of like, compliment it from an opposite side <laughs> if that makes sense I don't know because it just felt like you know Kara and and Lena were going off on this one and that was that was pulling them further apart it would have been I don't know how you would have done it you would have to like set it up like the previous season I guess but like Brainy and Nia slowly coming back together in the season that would have been like a nice compare contrast to kind of compliment the Super core ship, but they didn't really do that. So you had just like both of them like going off in distant directions and it just kind of like amplified the distance instead of like complimenting it or like, you know, bringing out another side of it. Um, and I, my thing with this season that I, that I just really did not like, and I feel like with last season, it was Nia, Brainy was servicing Nia, sorry, like Brainy, um, Nia was a driving force of that ship for the last season, the whole season. Um, and Brainy was just kind of like along for the ride. And in this season, Brainy is the driving force of this ship. Um, and everything about the ship revolves around him. And Nia is just kind of along for the ride. But the difference between the two seasons is that last season, even though Nia was a driving force for the ship, Brainy still had his own stories as well. Like he was just coming in from the future. So he had that kind of dissonance of being out of time, out of place. And then he also had the um, discrimination from being like an alien in the whole Children of Liberty storyline. So he had, he had stories going on outside, which is kind of you know, like how I was talking about with dance and how Kelly has her own stories outside of just the ship. But in this season, Nia has nothing. If it's not about Brainy, we do not see Nia at all. She doesn't have stories outside of her reaction. If, like, Brainy needs to react to Nia being sad, depressed, or upset that Brainy is shutting her out. And so we don't really get to see much of her development. Um, she, like, she's a journalist, so let her journal. <laughs> let her do something. Like, she could have been involved in, and not to say that, take away stories from William because and give them to Nia, but Nia could have been working with William. Nia could have been doing other things. Um, Shadow is thirsty. Okay. Nia could have been doing other things to give her more story and more depth outside of waiting for Brainy. And I think that was what kind of frustrated me, especially because if it wasn't about Brainy, we just didn't see her at all. So... <sighs> The difference between Danson and Brainia for me is that individual storyline part of it. And that I also think that's the difference between Brainia last year and Brainia this year. 
and going forward, I don't, I mean, I suppose that they'll be equally treated next season, but this season it just like, yeah, they didn't really, didn't really do enough to kind of push for Dean. Even the one episode that they did give her was not fully hers. Right. So. But, I mean, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I love Brainy and Mia. I don't know. Like, clearly the writers feel some type of way about them. I don't know what it is <laughs> sometimes because, like, they went, like you said last year, they went from sort of having some sort of balance to this season taking Nia out of the storyline and kind of giving Brainy a whole storyline um instead and then i don't unlike with danson it seems like the writers aren't quite interested in writing for cute them stuff. yeah cute stuff like whenever Even the they stuff that was supposed to be cute in the beginning of the season yeah it it wasn't it it always it had this turns kind of into like, like a fight or like a right. misunderstanding or a lack of or like like Nia doesn't like love the full brainy or you know some something like brainy's too eccentric for nia or some kind of like weird thing it was like it's supposed to be cute but then it turned weird yeah so it's always like mired in drama and i don't understand why they can't just let them float along and, and be somewhat happy or if you're not gonna like develop them more properly then you can at least let them be somewhat stable but because to me like with the whole lex uh, brainy thing it really felt like the writers were trying to do something <laughs> but they did not um in terms of like building up to a drama and centering the ship because brainy is now shunning nia because he has to do the whole heroic i can't have you in my life right now because you're going to get hurt and i have to do this on my own mentality which you know we've all grown to hate uh so it especially i mean yes it does parallel lena and uh Kara's storyline in terms of like Kara did not tell Lena the truth about what was going on but that was her identity versus like Brainy actively working with Lex knowing that that was not right and then yeah pretty good <laughs> and then just keeping Mia out and and you know like you ladies already said it's it drove her out of the storyline completely versus giving her anything and it is weird because She's been on the show longer, and yes, she could have helped William. She could have helped Kelly uh, with Obsidian stuff. Like, there could have been a lot more going on, but she would disappear for long stretches of time, and then she would just pop in, and again, it was always tied into Brainy. And so it kind of just felt like her growth was stunted this season. It didn't really go anywhere. Um, like, we got that nice moment with her and... um What's his face? When, when he was telling her, like, you know, you're very powerful and you should just like own up to it and blah, blah, blah. And that was nice. And it feels like that should have happened with Brainy and Nia. (laughs) 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 So that should have happened with like Brainy and Nia as a couple. They should have gotten to that point of actually talking. Like, cause it feels now, since we only were one episode away from the actual ending, that Nia's gonna realize, oh, Brainy's in trouble, they're gonna go rescue each other, they're gonna realize that they can't live without each other, and then act like nothing happened in terms of like, him lying and, and whatnot. So, I don't know, the ship kind of hit a big bump in the road this season. I still think it's still, like, there's a lot of, um, fans, there's a lot of fandom for Brainy and Nia. Um, so it has like fan support, even though there's also like counter support for 
<laughs> crack ship, which uh, was it's, it's not it's That's not canning. To make it's not canning crack, it's but it is like crack in terms of that. It's not going to happen with Kara and Brainy, but um, it still has enough fan support that if the writers actually cared about it, then it could be like a, a good ship. Yeah, it um, doesn't have as much fan support as Danson, um, no. but it has more than any other. <laughs> super it's more than Kara and Williams. It's yeah. Williams, and it has more than Don and John, and it certainly had more than um, Cara and not Cara. Well, yeah, it did have. It does have more than Cara and James did, but I meant to say Lena and James did. <laughs> yeah. So as you can see, Supergirl is a shit, as like a shit show sometimes when it comes to shit. <laughs> can I say like, I don't see why we can't get uh, what we. What we couldn't get with Supercore, I don't know why we can't get it with Lena and Andrea. So there you go. Oh, that's, that's true. Tip. I like that. I support it. <laughs> I also support. And then because I support, I'm going to move into the feedback that we got for it from Suara. He says, Supercore, my heart was so filled up this season. Um, it says, as a disclaimer, I absolutely abhor what a lot of racist and white feminist Supercore shippers have said and done, and I cannot believe the extent to which they went. Any action or word, no matter what you ship, should be abhorred, especially what they've done to Makad and now Staz. Um, I know it'll never be a canon as a woman-woman relationship, and I do actually like Kara. And, oh, we, this is the one Kara Williams shipper. It's Laura. <laughs> he says, I do actually like Kara and Williams together, but in terms of... Uh, Lena and Cara just having great overall re- relationship, which with drama, ink, bitterness, and forgiveness, I was really satisfied. Lena was absolutely was acting logically, but at the same time, we sometimes act logically when we're blinded by emotions. I know it doesn't justify any of her actions. As Sora is also the Lena Luther apologist, so um, and we love him for it. Yes. But I can't help but be compelled by Katie's amazing performance. So happy that they reconciled and hopefully there's just more rich story between them next season. Um, and he says, I'm Karen William. Again, I actually really like the relationship, which developed organically in this season, in his opinion. And then we had Kaya, who also had some uh, Supergirl feedback. And she said, with Karen William, I feel like any love interest that they would give to Kara, it would be hard for a big part of the fandom to swallow. But they really messed up with William. His cover could have been anything, but they chose to make him a jerk to Kara. And it felt like they learned nothing from Monel and made the most fans dislike him since day one also they didn't develop the relationship at all one day they looked at each other and willing was in love and then they went on a date that lasted 30 seconds and we still don't know if they're in a relationship or not there's no build-up um in addition to this they didn't give william a personality he's just a generic good guy we barely know anything about him however what makes his pairing so bad in her opinion is the fact that car doesn't even seem that interested in him she likes his food more than she likes william and it doesn't really feel like a romance on brain and nia she says that i love them but they really did them dirty the season. That's all I'm going to say. Car and Lena, mistakes remain on both sides, but I believe my girls can make their way back to each other. Also, I can't believe the show is still wasting what could be one of the greatest love stories in the Arrowverse. And then I'm killing Alex. Their lack of screen time was shameful, but they are the healthiest couple on the show, and they grew a lot in the season despite everything. So thank you, Suara and Kaya. Yes, both wonderful. Both wonderful things. And now we shall move on to The Wild Child, Legends of Tomorrow. Our anchor ship, Ava Lance, has been going strong, both in fandom and on screen, and we'd love to see it. Um, however, I think that a large attractor for this season is how often uh, Sarah has been positioned as uh, absent or out of com- commission for one reason or another. 
Um, and she has been leaving Ava in charge of the ship every time. And so Ava is growing as a character and that strengthens her relationship as that happens. And we love the co-captains for life tagline for the couple. But it is a little bit like, mm, is reduction of Sarah like a phasing out of Sarah? Or is it a behind the scenes situation like Katie's got something else going on and we can't help that we don't have her right now? I'm not sure. And I don't know what that means for the ship in the future. However, we still get some really epic moments. They've had some great uh, kisses and, like, you know, big scenes this season, especially most recently I remember the Star Trek kiss from the TV mm-hmm. show. That was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also feels kind of like the writers have settled in to the ship, kind of like kind of like West Allen, but with less of, like, they don't have a story together. They just are chill and hopefully not going to go away because Sarah goes away. I don't know. And they aren't really being used to generate stories. They just remain stable and probably get the most, maybe get the most screen time ship-wise on the show. They're just mom and dad. Yeah, they do get the most yeah. screen time. Thoughts? Yeah. I agree with the screen time part for sure. But it feels like they've definitely come to a standstill in terms of developing the ship itself. And it's more focused on, like, Sarah boosting up Ava, like you said, in terms of, you know, training to be captain and it's felt really strange because for some some episodes we knew why Sarah wasn't there but then like other episodes I don't know why she wasn't there um and then even with like for example Sarah when she became blind and they didn't really know you know how to cure it or like whether she was going to stay that way forever and they didn't really talk about what that would mean for them and, and how they're going to navigate it. Um, if it's going to be like a permanent thing, which would have been very interesting. Um, so yeah, they're, they're still rock solid. They still obviously love each other. The writers are still invested, but it doesn't, it hasn't gone anywhere either. So like, they're just hanging out and they're still like the anchor of, uh, the show, which is really good because legends has, grown into a show that has anchor ships, which is wild. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but, um, so back up. So yes, they are solid and that's great, but it feels more like, like you said, you know, they're Ava, Ava is the focus as a character and Sarah got Jack squat <laughs> this season in terms of any development or major storylines aside from like one thing that lasted two episodes. Um, so, yeah, it just, like, I remember, last, was it last season where they had the whole, like, Ikea-style um, yeah. episode and stuff? Like, that was really good, and we didn't get any any hint of that this season. Um, so it just feels like the writers are okay with them where they are and are not really interested in moving past the comfortable phase. Yeah, I feel like, you know, they have... Last season, they were built up to be the undisputed anchorship of the show. And this season, they are the undisputed anchorship of the show. And I think that they have, um, the writers are invested. They, the writers seem invested more in Ava than in Sarah. Um, the fandom is, is obviously there for them. Um, but I, I do think like that's like the little kind of like, I don't know, disconnect or whatever you want to call it that the writers really seem especially this season, more invested in Ava and Sarah building up Ava since Ava lost her job at the Time Bureau and is kind of, you know, around without 
purpose, trying to struggling to figure out what her purpose is. And so Ava is like, uh, Sarah is a strong support for her. And within that, they build up the love between them as a ship. And I like the really co-captains for life. I think that's a great tagline for them. So you've got like the gold standard TM and then you have co-captains for life on legends. Um, so I feel like that's, it's a really strong, um, base for their anchor, but the way that they built up the season, I don't, and I don't know if it's because they're building up Sarah to no longer be there or if they were just like building up story wise for Sarah to be abducted by aliens. And then I don't know how many. <laughs> episodes that just seems so odd even on like legends like sarah getting abducted by aliens just seems like really really odd um (laughs) but but i don't know if that leads into the beginning of next season that sarah's not around for episodes and so ava has to be the undisputed captain of the ship so that's why they spent so much time building her up building her confidence up and her the team's trust in her to lead um kind of feels like they're going that way um sarah really didn't have much story outside not not to mention that they also like gave ava practice of what it would feel like to lose sarah like a couple times yeah so that i mean i you know going into next season it it does right now it feels like they're just leading up to sarah not being around for some episodes next season and i don't know maybe they are maybe they are the west island of legends because it looks like they're going into like a season where Ava and Sarah will be separated for, like, <laughs> the season majority six. of the season. Yeah, you know. <laughs> season six is a season of separation, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I feel like that I, – I guess going in, again, going into Sarah being abducted, I don't really see where we counterbalance next season and bring back more Sarah's perspective since she is gone. <laughs> so – like, I guess that'd be my only thing to like kind of like worry about or wonder because they don't really seem to be on the same level in the writers' minds in the same way that they're on the same level in the fandom's minds. So, right. I'm sure that Ava will be desperately searching for Sarah, but like we don't even know. Yes. Yeah. We don't even but, know how much they'll show Sarah. Given yeah. How much they've not been but I will say that this season they they did like a really um, Sarah had like a really a lot of strong moments, um, like love confessions or love what do you call it professing of her love for for Ava and um, a lot of like really beautiful moments for the ship within the season that I think was um, really nice it's just it's just a little mirrored and a little bit of sadness because it's always it always seemed like it was you know her thing like her last love letter to Ava every time that they had like when these like big moments because she was leaving or disappearing or you know in a coma or something like that. Stress. Stress. Um, so now we move on to our submarine ships, starting with um, Dark Adam, Ray and Nora. You are missed. Um, yes. The writers cared so little for this ship that they fired the actors to avoid <laughs> it. Um, and which is so bad because it's too bad because they had so much story worth mining. And in fact, they had so much story that could perfectly mirror Avalanche. Like the start of Avalanche was, Sarah's darkness and Ava sees her light, you know, and then mm-hmm. um, Ava's trying to find her place in the world because she's lost it. And Sarah helps her find it. That's literally Ray and Nora. But I guess the writers did not care. So <laughs> whatever. And of course, they have so much chemistry, etc. 
And so they got a really sweet send-off episode, or episodes, but the build-up to it was so rushed. Like, it was just literally like, let's not have Nora in the show at all, except for, like, one scene, maybe, of a video call an episode. And now, let's get married. <laughs> okay, bye. See you later. Um, so, yeah, I don't even know what to say about that, other than I don't know what, what crack the writers were smoking, that they didn't like this ship or didn't see where these characters could go, but they didn't, so that's that. Thoughts? Me. Oh, me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's really sad because, you know, like you said, they didn't get to a point, Dark Adam didn't get to a point where we could, like, really, they can get on solid ground because the writers kind of ripped the rug from under them and us, uh, so early on. And just as soon as they finally got together, they're no longer, they're physically separated for a while. And then, like you said, you know, they just jumped into marriage. And then immediately after that, they're off the show. So there wasn't enough time for the audience to kind of become even more invested in them because we were already shipping them. But the show clearly just wasn't, I don't know whether they weren't feeling it. Because there's, looking back, there's zero reason for them to have left the show, especially since the actors clearly didn't want to go. Um and they had gotten to a good place where maybe they could be together. And, like, even if you didn't want Nora around 24-7, that's what she was the magic fairy for. She could just kind of, like, disappear for a couple of episodes and come back. Like, perfect. So it's bizarre. Like, I think they had really strong moments. But obviously they had those strong moments because they were leaving the show and not necessarily because the writers were super invested in developing their relationship more than they had already. Like they were like, Oh, well these guys have chemistry. They're married in real life. This is perfect for us. We'll just put them together and then send them off in a beautiful way. But it didn't feel like that beautiful way was properly earned. Like it looked pretty and it was touching, but it didn't feel like something where it was properly built up to for fans to just be like oh yes this is deserved and earned um so the writers really dropped the ball on that whole relationship and like you said it could have paralleled you know different storylines this season and it did not so it sucks yeah one of the things that i think is really weird because you know you're saying that the writers obviously didn't care about the relationship but i feel like that the way that they write it it was not someone that didn't care about the ship um because I, I feel like they wrote it like they loved it, and they wrote it like they loved Ray and, and Nora as characters um, in it. So and it was like, especially with Nora, it was very beautiful how her coming to, you know, being forced into being the fairy godmother and, and growing out of that and learning that she could use this as, actually as a way, not as a punishment for her, but as a way to help kids in the way that she wasn't helped and how Ray is just so like supportive of her and, ha- and it kind of like is a reflection of like race his light how he saved her that she's able to save these other kids and i feel like the way that they wrote them they wrote them like they loved him so the fact that they're like no they're now that there's no more story that's canceled that's over was just like kind of abrupt like i don't know what who in the writer's room i guess it was phil made that decision to say there's fan support for your ship. 
there is writer support for the characters, but let's just sink our own ship <laughs> and do something else. Um, so it, it, I feel like it's, you know, the ship suffered more from a person being Phil derailing or like blowing up his own ship as opposed to the writers themselves not feeling invested in the characters or the relationship. Um, and I think that played out um, in like their, their final scene together. Cause it just, it, it felt like, you know, they were also trying to use Ray and Nora to say like, don't blame the writers that we have to go <laughs> and try to use, trying to use the ship to, you know, pacify the fandom to not be upset with the writers. Cause I, I mean, and I don't know if that they're just that delusional in that, you know, they really believe that they have no story or if that was kind of like the writer's way of saying like, you know, this is not really our decision and we're trying to like make it work or something like that. I don't know what was going on with that. It's kind of annoying um, and offensive to me to use Ray's voice to justify like Brandon, to use Brandon's voice to justify what Brandon is getting fired on the show. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it was the people in the writer's room decision to right let them go because I, I do feel like the way that they wrote Dark Adam when they had them that they did really love them so I, when politics. I say the writers I really mean Phil I don't mean yes. all the writers <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> because the showrunner makes all the decisions yeah. but, but yes I do agree that they were still yeah. written well and when secondary they secondary to Avalanche they, they are the most like healthiest stablest mm-hmm. ship and they could have provided a lot of, and, I, and I've talked, I've complained before, um, especially in the season, especially with Astra and her storyline, Nora could have been um, really integral to helping Astra. Um, and that would have paralleled up to, to Avalanche taking on like the encores and, and the main part of the story. And, and underneath that, Dark Adam supporting by, you know, supporting, um, nor supporting Astra and then also Ray supporting like the bromance between the the three himbos, himbos amigos <laughs> with um <laughs> Satan and Behad and that storyline. Um Ray could have tied together that storyline with like Zari and um Behad and then Nora and Astra. So they could have they definitely could have worked on both sides of the plots of the season. Um so yeah. Moving on to the next ship, we have, um, this is again, I don't, you know, debatable, whatever. <laughs> I'm putting Constance Z, sorry, Constance Z next, because they did not appear until <laughs> the tail end of the season, even though they are superior. Um, so I feel like it kind of seemed like the writers just threw it in there for the fun of it. Um, but, uh, we are loving to see it and we hope to see much more of it. They saw uh, they, that kiss and Romeo and Julia, and they're like, exactly. yes, we need to do like, this. Idea! <laughs> <laughs> the characters play off each other really well. The actors have great chemistry. They've had some really um, excellent moments together. And they really, they had, like, that good little, like, spark, like, enemies to lovers. They weren't only enemies, but, you know, bickering friends to lovers, if you will. That played out really nicely over the course of just a few episodes. However, there isn't really, like, a narrative thread. Um, like, you could make an argument for, like, oh, um... Free will. Let Zari Kimono have the free will of existing, and then she can choose to be with Constantine. But they didn't really focus on that. They didn't really make that happen. Um, so, so I guess I think like you a, can like roll that in, like combine it with like Nate and Zari, since it's kind of <laughs> yeah, it is all like one little jumble, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so I would just say, like, let's wait and see on what's going to happen with that ship. But they do have the potential to be um, the, like, official submarine ship of the show next season. Mostly because I don't think it's any secret that Zari is the writer's favorite female character to write for. And Constantine appears, has become, like, the favorite male character to write for, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just based on the fact that, like, literally the whole season's plot was his plot. <laughs> and the legends were just guest starring on Constantine. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but on the other hand, we have a steel hacker, Nate and Zari, which uh, was, I don't know if it was the, I feel like maybe it was the uh, summary of last season, but whatever. It's, this is like its second season, its second go-round. Uh, and it started off strong with, you know, they had the whole, like, Nate feels that something is off. He knows that he's missing someone, and it's Zari. And then he finds the video of Zari saying, find me, Nate. And you're like, oh, sh- it's going to be the whole, Help like, Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Exactly. You're my only hope. Whole romantic <laughs> melodrama all season, no. But it wasn't, because then they just kind of, I guess, because, as uh, we have pointed out, Bayrod is just, like, literally female Zari. Um, maybe they found their shiny new toy in Nate Bayrod's bromance. And so they kind of forgot about Zari 1.0. And then Zari 2.0 was so much fun. Like, everyone loved her, um, despite the early resistance to her, that, again, they were enjoying that new avenue of exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, until, you know, they're like, wait, Zari 1.0 needs to come back. Um, and then Steel Hacker came back around, had some strong moments. But um, I, I would say, I would argue that the strength of Nate and Zari is residual, like, oh, we decided that Nate would be the male lead after we abandoned mm-hmm. uh, Ray, and mm-hmm. so we're still kind of on that, even though secretly we have already decided, again, that now Constantine is the male lead. So it was just like, you know, like, the leftover, like, okay, Nate, you're going to have a nice epic farewell with your love and a farewell to your status as male lead. Um, but since they don't have that feeling anymore for Nate, they just copy-pasted his previous epic farewell with his love. <laughs> Thankfully, it was very well acted by both uh, iterations of this love. Thoughts? Yeah. I, 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 it's no secret that I'm not a Steel Hacker <laughs> fan. And it's funny because, like, Nate and Behrad is, like, my – it would be my crack of choice, and I'll say it again when we talk about that. Because, but in like Zari 1.0 is basically female Behrad, so you feel like, well, if you like Nate Behrad, then why don't you like Nate and Zari? But I mean, it's it's like I not, it's not like I don't understand the vibe. <laughs> I just don't like Nate and heterosexual relationships apparently. <laughs> <laughs> like I did it once already with Amaya, and once I was over, I was like never again. <laughs> and I, and like you said, like um, and you think just you know objectively the way that they wrote Steel Hacker. Um, in the beginning and then at the very end of the show with like the, the Nate kind of, you know, being attracted to Zari 2.0, but not really knowing for sure, like there's something there. And at the end when they had, um, Z 1.0 come back and, um, have those moments where it was kind of like established that Zari 1 and Zari 2 were just separate identities and Nate couldn't just copy paste his relationship with one Z onto the other. Um, I thought that was a really satisfying conclusion to ship that I don't like. Um, but like Tati said, like, he was like, I will never forget you. And I'm like, I feel like we had this conversation before when it was with Amaya and he definitely forgot her. <laughs> um, but at least like the way that they kind of bookended 
the season of their moments it made their bond seemed at least more genuine than it did last season because definitely last season it felt like it came out of nowhere and just because they needed Nate to have something to complement his storyline with with his dad or whatever and it, it didn't really feel very organic because they didn't really have any kind of you know shipmate talks before Zari just opened her eyes and was like, Nate must be the one. So I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really believe in the buildup of the ship last year. But now that it had some history behind it into this season, um, you know, the whole step again, like separation, like this is like a theme with, with ships that like Nate feeling like something was off, but not being able to put his hand on it, uh, his finger on it. Um, made it you know that gave like the illusion of genuine soulmateism <laughs> but but like also like you know we had sorry 2.0 and a completely different relationship with Constantine and um this was another ship that I wasn't like looking for or asking for but contrary to skill hacker I actually really enjoy Constancy a lot and I feel like they bring like a lot out of each other um I feel like you know, they're completely opposite ends of the spectrum. And so they're both kind of really like snarky to each other about it. But like underneath it, there are a lot of parallels and similarities between um, the driving motivating forces behind them in the season with Constantine wanting to do right by Astra and um, like, uh, what are words? To um, redo or redeem himself. Redeem. Redeem is a word. The word for the week is redeem. <laughs> okay. To redeem himself from something, a mistake that he did in the past that caused Astra harm. And, um, Zari at this point, Behrat was killed because she was off talking to her other self and she wasn't there for him when she needed him. So she also has this kind of driving force of trying to like redeem herself and, and bring back her brother. Um, a lot of her insecurities of, you know, the, what she gets out of being a influencer. And then with Constantine, his, you know, her wanting to be liked so much and him, like, rejecting anything that could possibly, like, love him. And so, you know, you have all these kind of, like, ways that they are yin-yang to each other and kind of, like, comparing, like, complement and contrast. That makes, like, a really interesting relationship between them. Um, and, again, like, I'm, I'm very glad that they have decided not to copy-paste still hacker onto this new Zari and that she has like her own kind of like identity to explore. And I like that. Um, Cause I was, you know, I was, I would like it for the time that's here. I wasn't sure if they were going to continue Constancy. It does, you know, they ended it with Constancy being both admitting their like feelings for each other. And we had that like great release of emotion and the penultimate scene. And, and then well not penultimate, but like the, yeah, I guess it was penultimate scene. And then, um, them again kind of reaffirming their feelings for each other in the final scene so in the final episode so going into the next season i hope that there is you know they continue to have that kind of like banter and and building on that um so yeah yeah for still hacker i mean i echo i felt the same way about last season it kind of came out of nowhere but this season was more palatable because it they didn't spend as much time on it (laughs) <laughs> like Nate, obviously, you know, there was something off and I did dislike that it was Nate who was like, oh, look, it was another Zari. <laughs> but, you know, it didn't 
they didn't dwell on it. Like it wasn't every episode Nate was like, no, we have to rescue this woman because I love her and blah, blah, blah. So it, (laughs) I did not. (laughs) (laughs) So like they, they didn't focus on it as much. And when they did have some nice moments with them, it didn't feel, it didn't come off as inorganic because especially like the last goodbye, because you know, I was like, oh, well, it's ending, and now it's finally, like, sweet. It's kind of like how I felt about Elicity, their final moments. <laughs> because it's just like, oh, this is goodbye, you know. So it feels like music is swelling, and, and it's really sad, and you really feel for that ship, and, you know, maybe what it could have been. But given, like, how it started, it didn't really get time to develop into a more solid relationship and it's it's interesting to see the differences too because like last season we had everyone and their mother talking about like how ooh Zari and Nate should get together ooh are you having feelings for Nate right. blah 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 and yeah. then her relationship with Constantine was like much more organic and, and authentic show. right exactly so it's like yes these two people are very attracted to each other clearly and they're, and they're and, like, obviously trying not to be but yes yes and no one had to talk to them about it you know they figured it out on their own it wasn't like this big thing but it just sort of happened and it felt like like you said Jess you know their their storylines were also parallel to each other in that they were both wanting the same things for the people that they cared about and so it felt more much more natural to see them get together even though no one saw it coming because Constantine and Zarya are like completely right. different right. <laughs> but it was like a very nice surprise versus where Steel Hacker a lot of times felt very forced in that they were just shoehorning yeah. it in even in even in this season when there was episodes where they were like hinting at you know Nate had something for Zari or you know there's like ooh they had other characters come in like she woke up that one time in his bed like just like oh like, yeah like, walked over there and then she's walking awesome. out and like runs into Behrad and then like Kate uh Sarah's coming out and Ava like all of the the characters had to like Charlie came out everybody had to come out and comment on the fact that Zari came out of Nate's room or something like that yeah, where yeah. it's just like very look at this relationship yeah they, I mean they were like I don't know exactly and it was it was very like a it was very much like a gossipy type relationship versus an actual relationship so um I mean I'm, I'm happy that it ended and this did really feel like Nate you know because like you said Behrad was is the male version of Zari and Nate does really well in bromances. We've seen how he excels. He actually shows that he cares a lot versus, I don't know, he becomes like this weird jerk when it comes to women, and I don't like it. (laughs) So I prefer him in bromances versus, like, Constantine, like you said, you know, they gave – and this is, like, the second season they've given Constantine some kind of main story. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's definitely being elevated, and since they do love Zari, they're elevating her along with him. So it's it's nice, and, you know, we get to keep – this Zarya around as well, so I hope that their relationship does go somewhere and it doesn't just fizzle out. Me too, me too. Um, okay, crack of choice? Name Zarya. <laughs> Zarya and, and Charlie, we said this before, but it yes. never happened and it was so sad. Zarya yeah. and Charlie, we never knew you. We got our crumbs every once, yes. a blue, once in a blue moon. <laughs> we could have had It's those. still, yeah, the, you know, they had Maisie on there, and she is lesbian. She is an out lesbian, you know, 
for this uh, show that promotes LGBTQ relationships for a network that prides itself on, you know, showcasing that. How do you have a Dare to diversify. Dare to <laughs> diversify <laughs> and not put her in an on-screen relationship with another woman. Like, how do you – and I know, like, Charlie, they they – hinted or suggested they didn't have her actually say it i don't think but they hinted that she was pansexual but yeah we never got to see that story like on screen so (laughs) very upsetting and i am very sad that being said um oh suara suara has feedback suara has things to say suara has things to say on this corner, on this corner of Soir has things to say. <laughs> Constancy was the relationship I didn't know I needed. If we couldn't have Zarly, and unfortunately it doesn't look like we will ever, this is, uh, this is good at least. Zari 2.0 and Constantine compliment each other and surprisingly well, calling each other out on their BS in a funny bickering way that also shows how much they increasingly care about each other. Tala and Matt play their scenes so, so well. I can't wait to see where they go next season as they continue to grow. Um, as they continue their growth as characters, as for Zari 1.0, I bought into her romance with Nate at the very end before she went to the totem. My new prediction is that she's going to get out somehow and that will somehow end up with both Zaris and Zari 1.0 will either strike up a romance with Nate or someone else. Um, I feel like you're going to wait for that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, at, at the end of the day, I have no idea what will happen with Legend Ships. Um, barring Avalanche, which is fantastic as uh, almost always, and I guess it's just part of the fun. So that is true. It is, it is a fun. It is a fun ride. We don't know where it's going, but we enjoy the journey. All right, now on to emo child, uh, Batwoman, and now it's uh, even more emo than ever. <laughs> it's so emo. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it. It's so emo. But <laughs> we're starting with um, our once beloved anchor ship. Batmore. I don't know what's going to happen to you now, Batmore. It's really hard to talk about since so severely derailed by off-screen antics. But um, I will say it started off problematic in the sense that we did not get Sophie's perspective. And so Megan received undue hate for various reasons. Um, that was compounded by the fact that we didn't really know where Sophie was coming from on screen, even though we could guess. But then they got us back on track. They gave us her perspective, not only flashbacks from her side, but also eventually her storyline with her mother that helped us to understand where she was coming from and um, the media and audience at large, as well as a sexy secret relationship with Batwoman that we have always dreamed of for our ships in Secret Identities. So thank you for that, Batwoman. You did what you had to do. Um, I went back on the back burner uh, as they explored another Sophie ship that we will talk about shortly. But it's been clear for the whole season that Sophie was the one for Kate. Um, so I'm sure that if things continue the way they should have next season, then we would have seen Kate step up, you know, the truth come out, and then unite. But now we don't know what's going to happen. So take it away. Yeah, it's it's very hard to, like, predict or, like, talk about how the writers have built up the ship, knowing that it has sunk even before it, like, left, fully, like, left out of the dock. And the way they, and it's not even like they were that great in setting it up from the beginning, because they weren't. Um, it was, like, a really bit of a struggle in the beginning, because, obviously, 
you're the ship is at a disadvantage fandom side because there's a black woman in this interracial relationship and so you know and she's also on on the out she was in an antagonist position and that she was on Jacob's side and trying to stop that woman and also they had broken up recently and she was married to somebody else so there's all of these like obstacles that like why would you do that to your ship you know why would you put her in a marriage not even like a relationship a whole ass marriage with a man and still you know have set that up for for an end game that seemed like very counterproductive um the fact that she was an antagonist and like trying to go against Batwoman and, and get Kate to stop being Batwoman. Um, there were a lot of things that worked against it fandom-wise, opening up to her, and the fact that she was still in the closet. Also, all these kind of factors were working in, against her. And so, you know, looking at it, like, why would the writers set it up this way? And it took a while to get Sophie's backstory. But I think once we got Sophie's backstory, it really opened up Sophie as a character to the audience and opened up more avenues for the ship. We got to see some more, you know, once she admitted that there's that flirtation that was going on with that woman, but once she like um, came out to her mom and separated from her husband, um, it released the shackles that were holding the ship back and the ship finally got to sail a little bit on its own, whether it was with Sophie and um, her growing relationship with Batwoman, who by this time she doesn't know is Kate, um, and that little undercover like affair or whatever between the between the two of them, um, to also seeing more of like Kate clearly not being over Sophie, and I think they did the thing that Wes Allen did in season one where they just keep breaking up with each other even though they're not together. <laughs> so that was like another kind of like, you know ships passing in in the midnight you know passing each other and not really the timing not being right so you had all you you did have all of that coming into play once the ship kind of like opened up um the you know kate's little passing hookups with with reagan didn't really amount to much and then you had sophie's relationship with with julia that i guess we'll talk about next that kind of built like a nice triangle around it so there's like more it, it didn't and Sophie's relationship with Julia doesn't really take away from her in more her in game with with um Kate because it just adds to that tension and, and that story building around it so for next season it's really in uncharted waters to continue on with like the, the nautical theme um, it definitely has a lot. <laughs> it definitely has a lot of fandom support now. I think the fandom has like really like grown and like embraced the ship, um, and it also had had writer support just from the fact that Caroline Dries specifically said that they're in game. So now that we don't have a Kate Kane for the time being, where does that leave Sophie? Is the kind of like the question? They've been shipwrecked. <laughs> yes, they have been shipwrecked. <laughs> Sophie's on an island by herself. Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with all that. I mean, it's it's hard to talk about because like it just makes me sad because it was it did feel like it was finally going somewhere and you know Kate we knew Kate obviously still had feelings for Sophie and Sophie still had feelings for Kate and people on the show clearly shipped it. <laughs> 
<laughs> like even random characters would come. I'm just like, oh my god, yes, you should try a little bit harder, <laughs> Kate, because you're not doing enough. Um, but I, I do agree that in the beginning, you know, very much like Iris was overall in season one, like put in this antagonistic situation where she was out of the loop and, you know, sort of pitted against the the hero and everyone will always side with the hero. So uh, Sophie did get like some hate, but after, after she talked to her mom and, you know, her husband who shall not be named just kind of disappeared from the Wait, screen do you forever. Remember his name? Cause I don't think you do. Uh, that's Tyler. a good, yeah. Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler left and never came back. Um, and then we just kind of ignored that that ever happened. So it was great. <laughs> and it just kind of like, it did set her free. You know, she was more free to be herself. She was more open. Um, she wasn't so distant from Kate in a way, you know, um, even though like Kate was going through a bunch of stuff she didn't wasn't talking to Sophie about, but we know that she wanted to talk to Sophie about. <laughs> um, and it's great that it's a weird like love triangle, but you know, Kate gets to a point where if she's like feeling really emo, she goes and like sleeps with other women, but her heart is still with Sophie and Sophie is, gets a chance to be in a real life in not a real life relationship, but like a real relationship with um, Julia that doesn't hinder her relationship with Kate at all. And it actually like makes it more interesting because Sophie's at the center of sort of at the center of this uh, triangle. triangle. So Which it's really is, nice. It's like a real triangle because yeah. like Julia and Kate also had a relationship. Right. Yeah. Like relationships on all sides. Yeah. So like everyone just, the waters were on their side. The tide was on their side and they were headed in the right direction. And now it's just kind of And then the there. captain jumped off the ship. The captain jumped <laughs> off the ship. Ruby was like, <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so there was a lot of potential, but now I I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen. And you know, they were teasing even like, oh, Kate had an Endgame on another Earth. Who was that person? It's that that, that like <laughs> made me mad. Like, don't like throw that out there, and then not like have follow through with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do like the newspaper headlines. Like, yes, you will get together with Sophie. This is canon. <laughs> So, but yeah, now it's just kind of like, where does Sophie go as a character and does the end game change and what will happen to her? So it, it's terrible. So, but in season one, they were the anchor. <laughs> Romantically, anyway. I feel like if I'm going into predictions in season two, if we, if we follow along, if we like hold on dearly to Tati's logic, that Ryan <laughs> is just here while we figure out as an intermediary Batwoman, while we figure out what happened to Kate and Kate comes back, you know, with a new face, and a new story. And I know we had, we had an anonymous, like, um, I don't really want to do like the whole face changing thing because what if they need to do flashbacks from, you know, pre like before season one or within season one, then you can't really explain Kate with a new face in a flashback, which makes total sense. Um, but I feel like if they're going, like, the way that they're going this far, like, I don't think they'll probably need to flash back to season one at all. Yeah. Um, or if they do, they'll just use footage that they've already seen. So at this point, I think, like, if you bring in Ryan and Kate has disappeared somewhere and she comes back with a new face, they could still use the whole, I had to change my 
face to hide, protect my identity kind of thing, and mm-hmm. it'll be fine. But I feel like if they, they could still have, it could still be like a separation, separated anchorship where, um, and I, and this will, this probably kind of flows into like the movie ship with Julie and Sophie because you don't know if now that Kate's not here and they're recasting Batwoman as someone else, we're saying like, what does that mean for Sophie? Does that mean Julia sticks around and Pity Moore becomes the new ship, her new endgame ship or, or what? But if we do like a disappearance thing, it could also be like Sophie kind of discovers how deeply she still has feelings for Kate and maybe that causes tension with Penny Moore. So that when Kate, new Kate comes back, it's established now that that they are the ones for each other and Julia can like gracefully exit stage left. (laughs) I support this prediction. To bring it into our boy ship of uh, Penny Moore, that was, that was the way that it, that that kind of ship should be used. It was introduced precisely to throw a wrench in Sophie and Kate and also activate and Kate yeah. to step up. And I think that the way that they did it was like great because it was like a, a reversal of what people were expecting. Because I think when she came in and her relationship, past relationship with Kate, it was expected that it would be a uh, penny back, I guess. Right. Um, so I, I like that they flipped it and had it go, you know, have Julia be more interested in Sophie and mm-hmm. building that relationship up while it also be kind of awkward for Kate and Kate realizing that she needs to step up. Yeah. Right. Um, and unfortunately, we don't see that fruition, but I do, that was going to be a prediction to what, what Jessica said, that I feel like if they are planning on bringing a Kate back, then we are going to see the strain on um, the Pennymore relationship because Sophie is so focused on finding Kate or Sophie is just realizing that what she has with Julia is just not going to be the same as what she would have wanted to have with Kate, etc. And then they will. They will separate. And if not, if that's not the case, then instead we will see that their mutual loss of case, Kate will bring them closer together. And right. that'll make them, Either one or the other. Yeah. Either a... Um, a very stable uh, submarine ship for whoever Ryan's ship is, or they will somehow become the anchor ship of the show, and the show will actually be about to <laughs> 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 I, I don't know. Um, we'll see. It just seems so strange, because, like, it's so rare to have a vacuum of literally the lead. And it's also, it's even rarer <laughs> to have a female character at the center of a show literally be the center of the show. Like, you could remove Kara from Supergirl, and less would fall apart than removing Kate from Batwoman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I don't know. We'll see what they're going to do. But, um, that being said, <laughs> what is our crack of choice? Because there's no other ship on Batwoman. <laughs> I was to say about Julie and Sophie, like, I really did, in just that ship by itself, I really did like how they built up the kind of, um, the how they built up that ship, how there was kind of like a chemistry there and how they kind of grew and working together and working on a mystery together and like the whole like, oh no, we have to stay in this hotel room and there's only one bed, you know. (laughs) 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 All of that. I like that, um, you know, this is her, Sophie's first relationship as an out woman um, and how they kind of like continue to develop Sophie through her relationship with Julia um, to get her potentially ready for a relationship with Kate. So I liked all of that. Yeah. Um, and I also like how Julia kind of pushed Kate into the storyline with the next villain. 
like, you know, she introduced that to her. So she's not, like, so much left on the sidelines either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's communication there. Because yeah. definitely she was left out of sideline by the plot. But Julia was like, no, this is my girlfriend. She has to get plot. <laughs> so, yeah. We text uh, hamburger emojis to each other. Let her in. <laughs> Jealous Kate was very, very cute. So yes, I'll, I'll yes, Crack of choice, though. I mean, I think the only there's only one non-canon yeah, Mary. So oh, is, it, is it all of ours? Oh, yes. Luke and Mary. <laughs> I mean, unless you're gonna ship Jacob with someone, I don't know. Ew. <laughs> so, Jacob yeah. and death. <laughs> and now he can just die because there's no point of him. But yeah, um, I really like how they set up Luke and Mary. Um, even yeah, I mean, right now it's just a friendship, but I think there's there's definitely been hints that. Uh, one of them would like a little something, something there. Well, and, you it, know. it won't be a they to the they seem like a love triangle. Yeah, it's a love triangle. So. Yeah. And we see that. But, you and know, it's at the center of it, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> um, I remember we talked about that before. But yeah. So oh, I really, this is crack because it didn't, it, it was teased, but it didn't happen because she died. But Luke and Beth. <laughs> Luke and Beth! So <laughs> you know what? That actually would have been an excellent love triangle. If it had yeah. been Mary, Luke, and Beth, that would have been just like, oh well, oh well. <sighs> okay, so moving on to um, the old head. <laughs> our last show with our uh, potentially most convoluted, or not even convoluted, but mm, shit. That Woo! car outside really felt that. They were like, yeah, black lightning. And He's like, yes, it's almost over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, our anchor ship is, of course, Jefferlyn. Uh, what can we do without our um, wise and also very dumb parents? Um, <laughs> and they're the heads of the family, and the family is the center of the show. So, of course, they remain the anchor. They've just been put through the ringer, put through the ringer while simultaneously docked <laughs> without going into sea for, like, two seasons now, or almost two seasons, just between, like, them splitting up when working with the ASA and we don't really get to see that much of them together. And now Lynn's green light addiction. Um, I feel like they've just really shown a family in crisis this season. And that includes, you know, the relationship between Jefferson and Lynn being in crisis, but um, they always come together when it's needed. They always come together when it's about their family. And we know like there's never a doubt that they are it for each other. Right. No one strayed or there's no like, you know, you know, person looking well there was like that there one doctor looking, but that one doctor was like looking at Lynn and she was like what yeah and <laughs> he's off trying to like, like still yeah in season one you know Jefferson had that one chick that he did not care about at all and on season two um Lynn had that doctor doesn't care at all so it's like yeah. they're not interested in anyone but each other it's just that they just can't they're like sometimes two, they're also not interested in each other <laughs> they're like two magnets but it's like you know like when you try to put two magnets together and they repel each other the same, yeah, the same poles, and they just like repel. Like turn around, turn your magnet around, Jeff. <laughs> that is Lynn and Jeff. Um, so thoughts on this? You want to um, well, <laughs> did you want to go first? No, you can go. Okay. Um, yeah, with Jefferson is is interesting because they started off like back in season one super strong the writers were clearly invested in giving them nice moments and stuff but over time they've just all they do is fight (laughs) it's so so sad (laughs) like they're always butting heads with each other whether it's um 
what they're thinking about a certain situation, whether it's about their daughters. And, you know, we had that nice, towards the end of season uh, three, we had that nice little speech from Jefferson about, like, how he's going to go get his woman and no one's going to stand in his way. And then he does go rescue her. But then, you know, he also didn't, wasn't paying enough attention that he noticed that she was having addiction issues. Um, and it didn't come, it came to the point where he recognized it, but it was like too late. And, which is odd because they were like stuck in the ASA bunker for I don't know how long. <laughs> um, but then that happened afterwards, but still, um, it just feels like this season they weren't quite on the same page. And I think they're still, they're the anchor of the show, but I don't know that they're like a super solid one because the show doesn't, I don't think the show is very interested in writing a lot of romance. So when they do write for them, a lot of times it does come out in, you know, rough situations where they just are constantly like at each other's throats and there's always some contention. They're like, Oh, we have to fight and this, this and that. And they're never, they never seem to have like, happy moments they're just chilling or domesticity or like a family dinner yeah unless it's like a family dinner exactly where it's not like they're not the center they're just the matriarch and patriarch of the family itself but not like as a couple and like what makes them like what makes them so strong um i think it would be interesting to have like in the future to have like flashbacks to sort of solidify their relationship. Cause we've always asked like, why did they stay apart for so long? If Jefferson stopped being black lightning, for example. So things like that, that have just kind of like hindered their strength as a couple over time. Um, so they were like the strongest at in season one. And then that's kind of like gone off the rails in a lot of ways. Yeah. I feel like the true anchor of the show in general is like a family anchor. So it's like the Pierce, family um and within that the heads of the family are jefferson and lynn um but i it's very odd because the i think going on this is like the second season that the anchorship the family anchorship of the show has not really been a ship (laughs) they there's always something that's been like separating them or or a lot of strain and tension within the ship as a family. And then with Jefferlyn in particular, um, this season, they, like the writers just did like everything they could to kind of, you know, sink their own ship without it actually like going down. Um, just with the facts, especially with Lynn, especially with how they wrote Lynn and, you know, her, resentment of Jefferson being a superhero coming out mm-hmm. again um in this way and her her treating it as like a god complex. We know that there were hints of her not really liking his meta side from season one and it's part of the reason why they separated for so long. Um because she didn't like him, you know, going out and risking his life and his family um while they still had their their kids at home. And so there is that. But it, it seemed to go even like further than that with like the whole god complex and you have an ego and you just can't stand not being um loved by all kind of thing and how on that to her like and 
animosity towards Jefferson's superhero journey. And then also on the same side, it's kind of like she's speaking about herself because she also like the, the way that she went into working with the ASA and how deep she got in with the ASA and the green light kids. It wasn't, it went from being about state, a really motherly aspect of saving these kids to being very ego driven. And um, that kind of, along with some suggestion from um, Odell drove her down the path of like green light addiction and the way that she couldn't see herself having this addiction was because of her ego of, right. you know, wanting to be on the same level as Jefferson and hating him for it, hating him for being up here and her not really being able to feel like she can compete. Um, and that kind of drove it. And so there's this, all of this like tension, animosity. And I don't really think she ever really got around to the point where she understood that about herself. Um, the whole, uh, she's still addicted because, you know, we saw at the end of the episode, you know, she said she was going to do better. And this, that's another thing I feel like, um, last season, and I asked, um, Christine about this at the San Diego Comic Con, like we saw when Jennifer went missing, it started with when the green light kids were dying and she couldn't handle that failure. And so she drove herself into like a depression with like the drinking and then Jennifer left and then she went really spiraling down and it felt like, they did that for a plot, but not really for any character development for Lynn. And so that kind of resurfaced this year. And I'm not, I'm still not sure, you know, again, it's like another like black woman drug addiction kind of plot, which is all already kind of suspect, but they just, I don't know. They just, it didn't really, it doesn't really seem to be driving Lynn anywhere other than further away from her family. Um, and I had an issue, I think, last season with the fact that they don't really give, I guess, I guess I got what I was asking for, because I was asking, it seemed like the only, they only thought of her as a mother in situations of her as a mother and not as a doctor or a woman outside of that. And so I guess definitely they kind of leaned into the, the job perspective of it, even though it's still with motherly undertones of her wanting to save the kids. Um, but a, a lot, of, I don't really like how they did this shift this this season because there's just not a lot of them coming together as parents and except for like the last couple episodes um and it's they're still really not on the same page so i think fandom accepts them as like mom and dad of the show which because they literally are but i don't the writers don't really seem that invested what you said about um the anchor really being the family and not the ship was showcased uh, when we thought that Lynn would overcome the drug addiction was with her daughters talking to her, you know, like, okay, Mm -hmm. yes, you guys are right. I'm going to flush these down the toilet or whatever. And I'm going to, whatever. It was the family really. There wasn't, it wasn't like Jefferson, like Jefferson can talk to Lynn as much as he wants. And it's like hitting a brick wall, (laughs) but, (laughs) but the whole unit coming together is really what, what saves it. Um, And I agree with you fandom wise, like, I think that people accept them um, as a ship, but no one's like anchoring, hankering for more romance. No one's like, God, I really wish right. that we just got to see the romance blossom. Like, where is my ship? So that's yeah. not, they're not the ones they're looking for. They're looking at the youngins. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you have anything else to say about Jefferson, uh, May? No. All okay. Good. All right. Well, then moving on to our submarine ships. Um, this is not in order of weakest to strongest. I just put them first because the other two are 
opposing each other. <laughs> that is why. <laughs> okay. is, is one really a ship, though? I thought this more like <laughs> So, um, anyway. Thunder Grace, <laughs> um, I would say, is obviously the strongest submarine ship on the show. Um, although, again, it's long stretches of great missing. Um, however, this season, the reason why it became the strongest ship um, was because they found an in-universe workaround for why she is missing. They had the whole, like, oh, no, she's got to turn into a baby or a tiger. How sad. We don't have Grace. They did a part of Anissa's development that she would, you know, want still, like, accept Grace and want to care for Grace and whatever, cover for her. And then Grace, then, when she is herself, is able to protect Anissa, etc. Um, also, Anissa, now your hair is... Um, also, Anissa's feelings um, were pushed forward a lot um, this season. We really see how much she cares for Grace. Um, and we got, we got a lot of development in a short amount of time in terms of her wanting to have the um, impromptu wedding, right? Because she doesn't know what could happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was, the fact that that was a big event that brought all the characters together is a good sign for them as a submarine ship. And then, of course, the fact that it was, uh, (laughs) uh, ruined by the the plot, plot developments, um, also so that we can put her in a coma for, uh, out of character reasons. Is again, like, I think showing that they're trying to work the ship in as much as they can within the confines of Chantal's schedule. Okay. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I agree with you that they're the strongest just ship period on the show at the moment. Um, even with its issues, um, mainly the absences. I feel like the thing that I like, I like the final buildup of the ship because it's been like two seasons where they would start it and then that'd be the end of like Chantal's contract for the season and we just don't see it at all. Um, so I do like that Chantal is around more this season so that we could get more of those moments and build up. I, I felt like initially it seemed like, uh, you know, Anissa wasn't feeling it and then she was feeling it and then now she really is feeling it and she's trying to do, you know, the most for Grace and also it kind of came off as like, you know, Anissa has to be the mother to Grace or like protect Grace. Um, and it kind of, it felt like a little bit unbalanced, um, because Grace wasn't able to provide anything for Anissa and the way that Anissa was providing things for Grace. I think towards the end of the season, they kind of got more on an equal footing with um, Grace getting in control of her her transformations and being able to use that and kind of, like, challenge, you know, Anissa that, you know, hey, I can be useful out on the field as well. Um, there's that little, like, fight, play fight between them where it's like, oh, you afraid of the little pussycat? And, like, all this, like, cute, like, flirty kind of, like, banter stuff. And so they got to the point where they were, like, on – the same bring both bringing the same amount to the relationship and it wasn't just like Anissa um coddling grace so I I, I really appreciate by the time we got to the end of the, of the season I really appreciated that and like the the almost wedding when I thought they had a lot of nice build up to make that moment worthwhile and the fact that it was obviously interrupted you know kind of says that we care about this ship, um, but it obviously it's a little 
fast. Um, so we're going to stretch that a little bit. But what, again, what kind of like bothers me or worries me is the way that they ended the ship with Grace being put in a coma because it just kind of feels like it's another excuse to not bring Chantal in and upper series regular in a way to kind of like, okay, so we gave you this crumb and you're not going to have to like live off that crumb for several episodes, you know? And they also had like the, the kind of like intermediary ship with um, Anissa and the reporter, what's her name? Jamila Olsen. Yeah. So they always have these kind of like side ships for Anissa that are to block Thunder Grace, but they also really don't go anywhere. Um, so, and to say that it's still the strongest ship, even despite all that, is kind of like how you see. <laughs> <laughs> what the writers feel about ships on this show. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a vast improvement over season two because that was just a nightmare um, for them as a ship. But season three, we did get much more and they seemed more solid with each other in general. Um, like it's like the writers sort of drop back into the ship and they're like, okay, we're good now. We're sailing along. You just kind of going to go around along for the ride and not like question the, the lack of getting there <laughs> in general. Um, but once they, you know, they found their groove, I think that it went, like you said, we got some crumbs, we got some nice crumbs. It was wrapped in a little bow whenever it came and it was nice because I think that they have like a great dynamic and it says a lot like fandom obviously backs this ship. People want to see more of it, but at the same time, there's like a, the writers are seem hesitant to just go all the way or actually give the ship proper screen time to develop past where they are now in any major way like I feel like we missed we still missed a lot of milestones a lot of firsts and stuff like that um because they've never really been on like a real first date or gotten you know we don't get enough cute moments with them we don't have a lot of like discussions with them it's it's usually and and I think part of it is that Anissa is like, she's a character, she's, you know, she has a family, she has a purpose and whatnot. Grace, on the other hand, because of Chantal's constant absence and the writers not, you know, making her a series regular, she just kind of drops in and the, she's never given a lot to explore her character. Like, I feel like there's a lot of great backstory for her that we just don't get to see and hasn't been written but could be written because it seemed like her storyline was going to be connected back to Markovia. And we didn't really get to see any of that at all. So she just kind of her as a character is floating along on her own and doesn't really get that much as an individual. So it kind of lessens the ship strength. Um, And then of course they're hesitant to continue with it. Like you said, Jess, you know, they put her in a coma. They're like, Oh, well here's this, but then we're going to take it away from you again for who knows how long. And it just never seems like we know where we're going. Like it's dark and the ship is floating, but we don't have a flashlight. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, yeah. 
it, and it sucks because like they have great chemistry and, you know, it is clearly the strongest ship on the show and it has the most investment narratively, but it's fandom wise too. And fandom. Yeah. So, but, but it just does never, it stops and starts a lot and it hinders like its growth. Truth. Um, and now we have our, uh, gen ships, our gen submarines, <laughs> all the ones. Yeah, like, of, this one is really, like, it does not really exist. Ship. But it was put here, so, <laughs> so I included it. Um, did Jen, I do that? Yes. You put Jen and Brandon and didn't put Jen and Khalil. No. And I, I was like, what? No, no, no. What because happened? I copy pasted it from our part eight, and I think that okay. Jen and Khalil didn't, like, it was, Jen and Brandon was like, huh, and Jen and Khalil, they, they existed, but I don't know what, what happened there. <laughs> like, I guess that. I guess that Jessica's pushing an agenda here. No. <laughs> anyway, um, Jen and Brandon, their powers are compatible. So, like, that in and of itself, you'd be like, oh, ship? Um, but they did not go that route. Um, outside of the Jace storyline, which they nipped in the bud by just shooting Jace in the head or whatever, um, they don't really seem to know or care what to do with Brandon. Like, he was literally, like, he could have been, like, Prince of... He could have been Geoforce. He is Geoforce. He, he is Geoforce, <laughs> but, technically. Yeah, yeah but, but they didn't. But he's missing the Prince of Markovia part. Yeah, not Prince of Markovia. Because they made Markovia like Russia and racist, so. <laughs> yeah. But also led by what's his face. But also Brandon. led by a black man. But also <laughs> led by Wayne Brady. So make that make sense. <laughs> Good times. Um, but anyway, so they did not go the route that we thought they might go with Jen and Brandon. Um, I don't know that it really counts um as a road even even as a roadblock to Jen and Khalil. Because if a anything, friendship. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, Brandon shipped Jen and Khalil as well. So yeah, he did. If anything, he was a conduit to help Jen and Khalil. So yeah. anyway, bringing us to Jen and Khalil, which also suffered, quote unquote, from um long stretches of absence. Um, but this was very specifically with a story purpose. Um, and they really seem to love coming up with different ways of torturing and or killing Khalil, and then surprise, bitch, bringing him back. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that says, um, but I do know that this is like a merry-go-round. Like, uh, even though Jen sent Khalil away, it was literally like, okay, well, I can't love you now. Even though I said I would always love you, now is not always. So please go now. <laughs> and he was like, I'm going, I'm going. And then he came right back. <laughs> not even one episode. He was like, wait, I have to come back for some reason. Um, so I'm sure that we will get something else next season from them. Um, I don't know what else to say about them other than I think that, oh, well, yeah, like the fact that she was what helped him break out of his mind palace, like I said, um, and the fact that they didn't move around with Brandon when they very clearly could have mm-hmm. tells me that, uh, season four, we'll be right back where we started. Thoughts, ladies? Jen and Brandon is something I did want to happen, but I don't know that I would consider them a subship at all. Like, it's cra- definitely like a, a I, like, I, I feel like we wanted it to happen at first, and then it clearly became, like, abhorrent that it actually becomes yeah. things. We're like, no. Yeah. But it it had a lot of potential. It just didn't go anywhere. Um, I don't. I don't know why the writers are, like, so in love with Jen and Khalil, considering, like, everything <laughs> that happened before. Um, I do think that this season of their relationship was much better than season two, um, where it was, like, more focused on Khalil and lacked the Jen aspect in terms of, like, 
Like, she was just focused on saving him. Um, and here, she was just focused on, like, killing the ASA. <laughs> but, you know, they actually had some more intriguing moments, like, Khalil was uh, being brainwashed, and, you know, they did the whole, like, she only she can get through to him type thing, um, which means that they obviously care about the ship, and they want, they think that, like, in their heads, maybe it's, like, this deeper romance than it is on screen, because they always try to set it up. Um, but at the same time, I don't... I don't know, like, I love Jordan Calloway, but I do not yeah. like Jen and Khalil together. And, you know, they just keep torturing Khalil as a person, and I feel like he needs to figure some stuff out. Um, and then there was also, like, the moment near the end of the season where Jen was just, like, so focused on taking down the ASA and Markovia and whatnot that she was she pulled the whole like you're either with us or against us like you have to save my mom or you're you shouldn't be here or what or whatever um and like Khalil was still in the middle of like dealing with a bunch of shit because he just realized he killed his own mom so it was just like a rocky it was just a lot of ups and downs for Jen Khalil <laughs> yeah it's a very it's a very selfish ship on both sides like yeah. the the immaturity jump out um, like the, especially the first season when, you know, Khalil had his accident and there was a lot of, he was like very self, like not self-centered, but centered on himself and, and lashing out at Jen because of that. Um, and even into season two, um, where they kind of like run away together and there's like this whole, like, this is a very fucked up ship to be honest. <laughs> but it's the ship that the writers clearly care the most about. Um, even though, like, I think fandom would prefer them to care more about Thunder Grace, but, you know, the writers have clear favorites, and it's the not the most healthiest ship of Jen and Khalil. And I think especially in season three with the fact that he was supposed to have died and then he's he's back and he doesn't really have memories of this. So he has something going on in his head. And I think the fact that, you know, one Jen's family was lying to her about Khalil, first of all, but you do have that like really strong moment of her being able to break through to Khalil. But I feel like there's also kind of, on the other hand, the, morality question on if you have someone that is in a coma or can't really make the decision for themselves and you have, you know, their, their family member or their um, spouse is supposed to make the decision and do we let this person go or do we keep them on life support and hope something comes around. And, and in this season with Jen and Khalil, um, you know, he she is able to talk to him, go inside his mind and talk to him. And, you know, he's trying to come to terms with the fact of like what he did to his mom and like how can he continue to and I feel like the fact that they made him kill his mom did like a lot of damage to him and um you know, him making the decision like I I don't wanna be here and then Jen like pulling him out um was a really strong moment. But then kind of I, I don't even remember why it flipped that she, the support that she gave him and brought him out into this world, brought him out when he didn't want to come out. And then 
her to something happens. I don't remember what happened, but something happens, and she's like, you know what? My family's right about you. You are a bad person. To and then to like abandon him. I think because he refused to help in that moment, didn't right? Like he said no initially after Lynn was kidnapped and she wanted to go like save her. Right. I don't remember. Yeah, that may have been what it was, and and that seems even more insignificant for her to like flip on him like that. I just you know. Th- those I don't really know what the writers feel like they're writing here, but I don't know if if she was going to take on that burden of supporting him to get him back to a healthy place, why would the writers like take that away? And now he's kind of like stuck here in a situation by himself. He doesn't have like a family support system or or anybody. Yeah, and it's just kind of like torturing him to have to. To not even have Jen, who said that she would be there always, kind of thing. So, I don't. They clearly love it, but I don't love what they're doing with it. <laughs> Word. <laughs> exactly. Word. <laughs> um, so, uh, let's wrap this up. We've been here forever. Uh, yes. Crack of choice. <sighs> Tati, you have. Yeah. A little too biased. <laughs> That's why we didn't talk about it. <laughs> Take it back. We like it so much we wanted it to exist. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, I guess we're done because no one has a superior crack chip than Tobias and Lynn. So. Oh, yeah, I don't think That's... there is one. <laughs> and they would do, if they like Jen and Khalil, they would do it in Tobias. So. Anyways. <laughs> All right, so thank you guys so much for listening. Um, please join us. Uh, next week will probably be a Patreon episode, I think. Yes. Um, I don't know what the topic will be yet. Surprise! <laughs> but we'll we will figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out, you know, on Twitter and on Tumblr. Uh, in the meantime, please send in your feedback, ladieswithgumption at tumblr.tumblr.com or at gmail.com or dzdvgumption on Twitter. Thank you. And Goodbye. Good night. <laughs> Farewell. <laughs> so long and good night.